One Pride, this is the Roar of the Lions UK podcast, the podcast where One Pride goes worldwide. My name is Anthony Fitzpatrick, I'm joined this evening by Ryan McCluskey. It is a Wednesday evening, which can only mean one thing, yes, it is the college football podcast. A badger, a bear and a beaver walk into a bar. Ryan, we are four, five weeks with week zero into the conference football season now, we've Got into the big meat of things. Six ranked matchups this past weekend just gone. The conference schedules are opening up. The big matchups are coming in. And, you know, it's very sort of poignant that this year is the Chinese year of the fraud, for those who don't know. And this weekend, there were some frauds who began to show their colours in the college football circuit. And likewise, some teams who might actually be contenders as well. Uh, we, we learned a lot this weekend. Yeah. But it, it, we're already nearly halfway through, and by now we pretty much know who is going to get one of Willy Wonka's tickets at the end of the season, who thinks they're going to get one, but we know they definitely aren't going to get one. So, yeah, it's very interesting, I'd say, that they're really kind of showing their true colours. Some teams, some teams are just papering over the cracks with offence. Some teams are just totally anemic on offense and having their defense bail them out time and time again. Neither are a recipe for success. No, absolutely not. So we are going to be going through all that today. We're going to be taking a look at week four, you know, the teams who've done well, some who haven't. And then we're going to, of course, look at week five as well. We've got an awful lot to talk about. A shout out to everyone who's joining us. I see Grandizer. Is in the building. Hope you are well, Grand Eyes. He goes, a badger, a bear, a beaver, and a sun devil walk into a bar. Does, doesn't quite work that way, Grand, but yeah, we do have the sun devil in the building, but we're probably not going to hear too much about them today, although we might with one certain section of the show. So we'll we hear will. more about the fraud they played. Yeah, yeah, oh, well, I was going to ask that question later, but you've already answered it for me, so right, they're going in that section there. But um, let's get into it this evening. We have got a bit of news that we are going to chat about first uh, before we go into the games. Um, not really talk much about injuries per se this year. We, you know, if, if players are badly injured, it's going to up, you know upset the upcoming draft, whatever. We generally do tend to mention it, but obviously there are injuries in college football, but for the most part, it's not been too bad this year. But there have been a big spate of injuries recently, quarterbacks especially, which I just wanted to go through to update on so it's not been a good week or it's not been a good couple of weeks for starting quarterbacks actually a lot out here so UConn quarterback Joe Fagnano he was the main transfer in from them from the FCS he's been knocked out for the season with what is described as a significant injury I can't find anywhere actually what it is but he's done hence why they're playing Taekwon Robeson there and doing terribly um so yeah unfortunate for him um, last week, uh, Florida Atlantic quarterback Casey Thompson, he was ruled out for the season. He has torn his ACL, which is a killer injury for him because he'd had a really good start to his Florida Atlantic career. Um, last week also, Syracuse tight end Aronde Gadsden 
the tight end wide receiver slash hybrid who, you know, a lot of draft chatter about him as well. He's also out for the season with an ankle injury, which is a big blow for him and that Q's team where he's one of the biggest targets on that side. So big loss for them. And then we've had two big injuries this week to start in quarterbacks. So first up, Texas Tech quarterback Tyler Schuff. He is done for the season with a shoulder injury, which is bad news for Texas Tech team who are struggling already. And then the big one confirmed today, Texas A&M, their quarterback, Connor Wigman. He is out for the season after he suffered a serious ankle injury at the weekend, which is a big loss for them because for the first time in forever, Texas A&M have actually found themselves a good quarterback and he is done for the year but it's been a uh, it's been a rough couple of weeks for quarterbacks and for a ronde gadson as well that's a, that's a big loss for cues right yeah a lot of these like i feel sorry for casey thompson i think the most because his eligibility is nearly gone i'm pretty sure he might have to apply for an extension does he have i feel like he's a senior I, I feel like he's going to have to get a waiver, yeah. To try I think you get a medical year. red shirt, can't you, if you don't play yeah, four games. I hope he's got it, that. And then, like you say, on the other end, Connor Beekman, who was a fledgling sophomore this year, isn't he? Yeah. yeah. Last year's friend, yeah. And Texas A&M don't look great, but he actually looked quite bright so far. He showed, like, the back end of last year and the start of this year that maybe their quarterback wars have been solved by the young man that looks pretty good, so... I hope he comes back from that uh, better and stronger next year, but that's terrible. Like, I don't know how their season's going to pan out, who he's gone. Next man up but for a couple of years, next man up for them has really not done them any favours. And then, yeah, Q's tight end, especially like, say, when you've got a running quarterback. Like say he's tight end, usually he's his best friend, his security blanket. He's someone he can trust. And uh, that, that's been taken away from him now, so that's a huge lose for the Orange offence. But, yeah. A little litany of injuries, and it's quite a shame for a lot of these teams. It is, unfortunately. So, you know, hopefully these guys still have some more eligibility available to them. But, yeah, they are all done for the year there. Lisa DeLorenzo is in the building. Help, you are doing well, Lisa. Thank you for joining the stream, as always. We really appreciate having you in here. And you're coming at a very apt time, actually, because also in the news, we're talking girl power in college football this week. And, you know, obviously the... I don't know how big the story's been, but I've certainly seen it quite a few places now. History was made this week in college football. The first ever female non-special teamer taking the field in college football. Haley Van Voorhees. She took the field as a safety for Division Three side Shenandoah, the Hornets. And as a linguistics lover... I love the name Shenandoah. Just works so well. But um, she actually registered a quarterback pressure on a first snap, or it's been debated whether it was a quarterback pressure or a late hit. But, you know, things are things. She played snaps. First woman to do so, obviously following in the likes, the footsteps of likes of Sarah Fuller, who was kicking for Vanderbilt a couple of years ago. First woman to ever score points in the Power Five. Um, it's a nice little thing here, right? Just... Um, Good for good for her, being able to get on the field, being able to make some plays. Uh, I don't know whether it's going to lead to anything down the road with more men entering the game, but, you know, good to see it happening. Yeah, and it's going to have to happen sooner or later. Whether people like it or not, gate football can no longer be gate-kept. Like you said, in the UK here, I know I've played with females on the same team. When I played for the Oxford Rams, like I said, there was female players. 
my ex Huddersfield University, they've had female players. I know lots of them that play men's teams as well as they do women's. I say Phoebe Schechter. She's a large part of like the glowing NFL UK brand. She's played football for years for Great Britain, women's teams, men's teams, and it's it feels like American game is behind. It's lagging. Like I say, I understand that a lot of them say like, oh well, they just can't compete. Well, that's not true. I say D three football is D three football, and whether or not you feel like it's a ball back hit late or it's a pressure or it's a hurry, like. It don't really matter. Like I say, the fact is that she's proved that the coach is trusted to put her in the game in an important moment and that she made an impact. And hopefully she's able to go on and see further snaps throughout the season and hopefully gives the confidence for more girls to just try out for the football team. Like I say, I can imagine there's, there's still a stigma behind it and they're still probably nervous about trying it and what will people will say about them. But very slowly... Like the kind of power shift balance will slowly start to work in their favour and even out. So I'd I'd like to see this happening through D two, even D one. Like I say, if you just get loads of female kickers in a few years, or punters, or long snappers, like every bit helps. Like I say, it it's a position like all positions can be played by everyone with any skill. Like I say, it just takes I suppose the bravery to put the pads on to make yourself count. That's that's hard thing, but yeah. Especially like flag football as well now. I'm pretty sure like the women's like national team in the US, like the best flag team in the world in Mexico. Like flag football is probably the best way to start for any female that wants to play. Learn the fundamentals and then when you get the confidence, put on a pan helmet. So yeah, congratulations, like I say, Sarah, and hopefully this is the start of things to come. Yeah, absolutely. And say she they can manage physically, she cleaned out this quarterback on this pressure of actually seeing it and, you know, go for it. If you can do it, great. And well done for Shenandoah to giving her the snaps there, you know, she's earned them, so we will keep an eye on Haley Van Voorhees and see how she does going forward there for the Hornets and let's say hopefully encourages more people be able to do so Lisa goes I have a group of friends who played rugby in college yeah so it, it could be done I think a lot of women play rugby over here as well so you know it's a big big thing Grand Isaac goes Ryan plays rugby with the girls no he plays American football Ryan used to play American football here Grand he didn't do the rugby thing he did the American football thing so um got himself badly injured doing it as well I remember when he first started doing these pods he mangled was it your finger that you mangled up or playing I broke my hand oh you broke your hand and didn't I you and fractured two fingers, and that was the last time I played. That was about two years ago. Tried, yeah. I saved the touchdown. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. I got beat over the top, <laughs> went to tackle, wrapped around the feet, and then I, I heard a crunch when I brought him down, and I just immediately ran off. And when I, I couldn't get the glove off, like the fingers, like the glove were just knotted up because my fingers Ooh. were basically tied together, dislocated. Yeah. And my hand was just, yeah, there was a bone sticking out, a bone sticking out of it. <laughs> I, I say, I remember when you were first doing the pod, you had the injury and you showed it, it was like it was horrendous. But yeah, Grand Answer, he has, put his, he has put himself in harm's way for the game of American football. So Rai has taken his bones there. Very tempted to come out of retirement. <laughs> well, that's it. If you want to see him play some football, then who knows? You have to come over here and, uh, and see Ryan try. You might get a rant as well, uh, in live person. Let's move it on. And they are the main game, uh, the main games. I don't know, it started yet. That's the news, really, for this week. Not a lot else going on. No coach firings yet, which is weird, apart from Mel Tucker, but that was kind of forced, not results-driven. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what carries on on there. But 
Yeah, nothing really else news-wise for the time being. Playoffs we'll talk about in a few weeks because there's a lot going on with those, but yeah. Right, let's move it on to the games because as always there is a lot to talk about. Um, so as always, uh, as we've been doing it recently, we've got a couple of main games we want to talk about. We're going to share the love on a team doing well and not getting a lot of attention as we did before. Then this week we've got the addition of what we are terming the fraud corner, where the fraudulent teams have come to light. And if you're bad and you're fraudulent, you go into the fraud corner. Then obviously we go into the upset corner as well. Then we talk about the pit watch games from last week. And then the survivors, those who just survived big upsets this weekend, which features some teams. One team whose name I've never heard of in my life either. So we've got an awful lot to talk about. And as always, if you get into the title of the college pod, you are the first team to be talked about. Now people might not instantly have got this reference this week. Usually they are a bit better, but a badger, a bear, and a beaver walk into a bar, and they're beaten by Washington State, because those have been their last three rivals, the Wisconsin Badgers, the Northern Colorado Bears, and the Oregon State Beavers, in which was probably, definitely, my game of the week, and one of the game of the season contenders so far an absolutely barnstorming affair in this and me and Ryan called this one it was part of our pick watch fixtures Washington State coming out in a terrific game of football 38 to 35 winners and I mean we have our first champions of the season Ryan the pack two these are the only two teams left in the conference, it is essentially a championship game. Washington State wrap up the conference after one game, but all said and done, this was absolutely tremendous right from the very beginning of the game. Cameron Ward, second play of the game, 63-yard bomb to Kyle Williams after just 50 seconds on the clock. Um, Fresno State transfer wide receiver Josh Kelly, Wow, dude made some unreal plays in this one. On their next drive, there was a one-handed third down grab with two defenders hovering over him um, in the in that first drive. It was amazing. Uh, Ward goes over for a rushing touchdown. It's 14-0 in seven minutes. Washington State came out big in this one. Beavers hit back straight away, 39-yard touchdown run from Deshaun Fenwick, who had a really good day, very aggressive runner, all game played well. Oregon did actually run the ball very well in this one, but Washington State, they hit right back on the next drive, and it's one of the plays of the season from Josh Kelly. He receives a pass at the Oregon State 34, he makes his man miss on a one-on-one, he then runs in the field into a safety with other defenders closing in. He pulls out one of the sickest spin moves I've ever seen to get out the tackle. He leaves all three Beavers defenders in a mess on the floor and he takes it home for a touchdown. It was absolutely amazing. Um, Washington State then pick off DJU, uh, DJ Uwangalele. Cameron Ward goes right back to work. Another big bomb upfield to Kyle Williams. Uh, But then the running back coughs up a fumble. Oregon State get it back. DJU decides he wants to throw some big ones. He hits a 50-yard bomb to Bolden. Fenwick gets his second rushing touchdown on the back of that to cut the lead to 21-14. Cameron Ward 
then fumbles um, and uh, Oregon State get it right back but they make a really bad call to go for it on a fourth and seven just as the two minute warning approaches um, DJ Oangalele gets sacked it's a turnover on downs at the Washington 44 and Cameron Ward makes them pay they drive all the way to the end zone he's given fantastic protection on a touchdown pass to Josh Kelly and it's 28-14 at the half Washington State, the defense then force another turnover on downs. At the Oregon State 34, they tried. Uh, it was a fourth and one. Um, Ill-advised. Offense stalls. Unfortunately, though, for Washington State, they miss a field goal. But then the defense continues to make plays. Next offensive drive for Washington State, they pull out a fake punt at their own 29 and convert. They've been watching Dan Campbell taken from that school there then they drive the rest of the way down the field and Kelly another stupendous one hand grab from a 27 yard throw from Cameron Ward for a touchdown and it's 35-14 to the Cougars but then then the comeback happens DJ Oangalele runs in for a touchdown right at the start of the fourth quarter on a fourth and two play big play from him it's 35-21 Washington, though, they kill five minutes on the next drive. They get a field goal, albeit a doinked field goal, so it's 38-21. Fenwick then hits back with his third rushing touchdown as Oregon State take three minutes to hit back. Still six minutes left at this point, and it's 38-28. Washington then drive all the way to the two, and they choose to go for it on a fourth and down, but they fail on the fourth down conversion and turn it over with four minutes left. DJ Uangaleli then leads a 98-yard touchdown drive, including a stunning throw to Gould to get them to the Washington 5 from the 45. The touchdown pass then goes to Jack Vailing. 1-12 left on the clock. They've got to onside kick it. And this complete pandemonium on this onside kick, it hits a Washington State player, disappears under a huge scrum, but after about... Two minutes of trying to separate them all. Washington eventually come away with it and they can kneel the game out for what is a huge victory for them. It's their second victory over a ranked team this season. And Ryan, I mean, what a way to start off, you know, what a way to start the show this week. This had just about everything. Two teams banging form, trading shots with one another in the first half, then some Oregon tried to be a bit too aggressive. Washington State build a lead. The defense looks good. Offense is just absolutely on fire. Uh, and then you get the Oregon State comeback. You get the Washington State just been a bit nervy. They start going aggressive, trying to win it, start making mistakes. And then you get it all the way down to the onside kick at the end. This had drama. This had great offense, great defense. It was it was a wonderful game between the two pack two remainers. It was a weird one for me, like I said, because I, I look at like the turnover percentage, like the margins, or, like differential, like, and I think Oregon were very unlucky to not Oregon State were not very unlucky to not be ahead after like say collecting the two fumbles. Like I say, especially in the first half, they did gain momentum on defense. Both of them, yeah, got too big for their bridges. Like I said, too, both of them too aggressive. Like, I understand like saying Washington State go for him flat. If you're at like the two or three yard line, and like say you've got a healthy lead, you can kind of afford to cover it. But why something the Cougars was a team that's not used to winning got stage fright, didn't they? Like, do you know, like this in snooker, the hardest frame to win is the last one, yeah. And they almost lost. 
like I say, they almost left the door open a little too much for Oregon State to make a dramatic comeback. And if Oregon State claim that onside kick and get the ball back, I fully expect them to go down and score a win. But fortune and luck shines on the brave. And I feel like just they, they kind of warranted that luck to like say, come out of that scrum with the ball. Through everything they did throughout the game, deserved it. Uh, yeah, Karen Ward, one of the, well, if not the quarterback performance of the weekend, it absolutely destroyed them through the air and on the ground. DJ Ungalele, having so far a fantastic year as well, like I say, with the Bees, like everyone wondered how he'd do with the higher Paul names, but so far he, he's doing really well. And both teams combined for one of the most entertaining games of the season so far. It, it'll hurt Oregon State, though I feel like they left a lot of points out there they could have won. They'll bounce back, like I say. I don't think either of them will be in contention to make the Pac-12 title game. I just feel like that's maybe a bit of a reach for either of them. Like I said, when Washington State walked 35-14 up, really, that is where you kind of like, you kill them off. You, you don't leave the door open for a comeback. Oregon State were very plucky, but they did leave it too late to mount the comeback and left themselves just too much to do in the end. But yeah, Cougs show that they're probably their third best fourth best team in the Pac-12, though, no? Like, say, third, fourth, like, say, Oregon State, like, sixth, seventh, but they're both very much there, and they'll both get a decent bowl game this year, if not better. Like I said, they're both going to be looking for eight, nine, ten wins, if possible. So, yeah, what they do, the future of these two programs is very much up in the air, but it was a pretty good advertisement. If you want to recruit Washington State or Oregon State, like, they'd be a pretty good addition to most conferences if the Pac-12 does just implode upon itself. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This, and, and, of course, you, you might be auditioning for a new home as well because they might have to leave the conference if they can't Who resuscitate it. So. It was a pretty big stage for them. Yeah, and, and as you said, with Washington State, this is this is now where do they go from here? Because I agree, this is a team who have not done very well in recent years, and you know there's a lot bigger fish in the Pac-12 who get all the love in there. But this is a very good team now. And, yeah, they got the stage fright at the end, but the thing is, they pulled out with the win. Now, what do you do from here? You've got UCLA and Arizona up next. Two eminently winnable games. If you can keep winning and you get to the big fish at the end of the schedule, then maybe, just maybe, this could be the season where you shock somebody and you do fight for a Pac-12 title because all these big teams are going to be taking games off one another. So, it's an interesting one, really, there with them, but just... You know, they, they did so well in this game. You look at the stats here, like the offense, a 52% success rate on plays. That's 91st percentile. 7.92 offensive yards per play. That's 92nd percentile. Yards per dropback for Cameron Ward, 11.37. That's 97th percentile. On third downs, they were 54%, which is 81st percentile. Red zone success rate, 50%. That's 73rd. So the offense was great, but... You know, the defense was good as well, because the one thing we said about DJU is he looks better because he's behind a much better offensive line at Oregon. They've been protecting him a lot better than Clemson did there. But Washington State, they had an 11% havoc rate in this, seven tackles for loss, two sacks. They picked him off once. This was a defense that really hammered home. And I think is it Ron Stone, the edge player there, looked good really really good for them but this this team just in general everybody stood up here the receivers I mean Josh Kelly did you see his catches at, 
over the weekend. They were just unreal, some of them. Two big one-handed grabs. Another, he leaves four defenders lying on their arse going in for a touchdown. This is a very talented Washington State team right now. And this is only Jake Ruckert's second year there. The job he's done here is tremendous because the, the defense has always been the concern. But for three quarters in this, they stymied them when it mattered the most. They looked great, didn't they? Yeah. For a team that's not been known for playing that complimentary football in the last few years, I think Washington State kind of ran a bit of an air raid, haven't they, the last few years? They've been mainly like receiving and deep threats and passing the ball fairly heavily. But on the deep out of the centre of the ball, they've never been that stout or they've never been really able to hang with the better quarterbacks in the nation. But at times they did really well, yeah. Made plays in the backfield. Like I said, got a pretty crucial interception. Like I say, which can never be sniffed at. So when, like I say, when Oregon, USC, and that come to town and Washington, I think Washington State they've got a chance of getting a college game there. If they keep winning, and when they pick one of the big boys, they may get a national televised game, and they may be very much a lot of people's dark horses to cause an upset. So if they keep winning, then people will keep watching. Yeah. And in the end, who knows? Like I say, ten, eleven wins could be amountable. Yeah, I mean, like last year they beat Wisconsin early, and then it sort of flatlined a little bit. They got, and that was a big win for them at the time. And then you're thinking this year they beat momentum in tight. Yeah, lesser opponents. Yeah, it's no good now going to lay an egg against Arizona because then they'll just like, oh, yeah. you've done all your work. Yeah, that's the thing. And sort of this Oregon State win here, this is big because they've continued the momentum on from the Wisconsin game. But now, like I say, UCLA, Arizona, these are mid-table fodder this year in the Pac-12. You've got to really beat both of them and carry on going. So can they? But Cameron Ward, we need to talk about Cameron. So everyone who listens to this one knows that KJ is my guy when it comes to quarterback. He always has been. But the guy after him who I've always harped on about the most is Cameron. So, you know... First, at Incarnate Wood, you know, watching the FCS, that was one of the most explosive offences in the entire of FCS while he was there. He then makes the transfer to Washington State with his head coach, who is now the offensive coordinator there. First year, he looks decent, nothing amazing per se, but, you know, this year, he just looks so vastly improved and so much more comfortable at this level. He was 28 of 34. For 404 yards and four touchdowns, the only blemish on the day was that one fumble. But he got a rushing touchdown in there as well. I mean, we, you know, we talk about this quarterback class, right? And everyone talks about May and Caleb and Shadur. But there's so many other guys who could go to the draft this year and who could be bona fide starters in the NFL. Cameron Ward... He needs to start getting love in this draft cycle now, doesn't he? Because he is a dual-threat guy who's got a big arm on him. You've just seen how he sliced this Beavers defense to shreds. You know, he, he needs more love in this draft cycle, doesn't he? Yeah, it, it's hard. It's really hard to see where he fits in this class. For someone so talented, trying to position him or trying to even estimate what round he could be taken in, he's impossible, really. He's going to be one of those people that teams will look at and be like, no, absolutely not. And then other guys, like other offensive coordinators, QB coaches, will fall in love with him. I say it's, it was very much like the case of Dorian Thompson-Robinson, mm. someone supremely talented, a dual-threat athlete. But where do you put him? How much of a project is it? How much does that age work against them? Like I said, does the fact that he's had uh, a lengthy career in the FCS for stepping up work against him? So... There's lots of things and lots of outside factors 
that he's working against that are out of his control. And right now he's just doing his best to play his best football at a credible, good Power 5 school. If he does do that, I say he will get invited to the Combine. I fully expect him. Is he a senior? believe so, yes. If he is, then I expect him to 100% go to the senior ball. He's the exact kind of quarterback you'd expect to see there, and NFL coaches will want to meet. And like I say, fourth, fifth round, like I said, just at a guess, he could be that day three project. He could be the next Bailey Zappi or DTR or Aiden O'Connell, like you say. That, like, that's very much a valuable, credible route for him. It's hard to see him not being on at least a practice squad in the NFL next year, if not an active 53. Like I said, football just seems like he's destined to play it. It's just a case of who, when and where. Yeah, and it's going to be influenced by how big this class is because you've got guys like Quinn Ewers, Riley Leonard, Jordan Travis, KJ Jefferson, Shadow Sanders. There's like there's tons of guys. There's like literally the tons of them. High ones, and then the middle is just a battle. Like DJ Ungalila, you probably got to put him in that middle bit too with Cam Ward as well. He said because he's had a very impressive start after, like say, kind of losing his way a bit at the end of the Clemson. He had to come and have a good comeback somewhere so yeah it's going to be a, it's definitely a more interesting quarterback class than last year Oh, gosh, last year yeah. you knew who were good and you knew who weren't this year I don't have a clue no there's, there's a ton of guys and when it comes around to having to sort it out it's going to be a mental show there but yeah Cameron Ward is you've got to keep an eye on him he is honestly he could be a starter in the NFL and like Ryan said you could get him day three that's just the way it's going to be this year with quarterbacks. It's supremely talented class. As for the skill players who you want, who you need to watch, if you can, go back and watch this game. It's a game of the year. But Washington State, their receivers, Kyler Williams and Josh Kelly. Kyler Williams had seven receptions, 174 yards and a touchdown. Josh Kelly, eight receptions, 159 yards and three touchdowns. Both absolute studs who did great on the day. And then on Oregon State's side, it's the running backs who are really good. Deshaun Fenwick, 11 carries, 101 yards, three touchdowns. Damian Martinez, 17 carries, 81 yards. Didn't get any touchdowns, but he ran hard. I was really impressed with him, and they were able to really run the ball effectively on Washington State. And DJU, he had nine carries for 61 yards and a rushing touchdown as well. So he didn't have a bad day. Completed half his passes, 200 yards, touchdown, one pick. But ultimately, they just gave up too many points early in that one. But it's a terrific victory for Washington State. A great game, great advert for these two teams going forward. And let's see what they are capable of right let us move this on we are at 37.50 here so this is my new thing i'm chapterizing as we go so i just need to write down the times and for our other main game we have like little notes on the youtube bar yeah you can you can chapterize them and then write little descriptions so people can just watch the names and stuff like that yeah so i'm gonna do that going forward but nice but so Last week, we started we started doing a new segment where we want to shine a light on a team doing well who's not getting much recognition. Florida International were the first team we did last week. They then proceeded to get their asses handed to them by Liberty, so I don't know whether that was a modicum too early. But we're going to try again this week. God damn it, I am going to get this right. But this is another team who I didn't think was going to do that well this year. There's another group of five team who I want to bring attention to because they have 
been good so far and I want to share the love out there and that is the Georgia State Panthers coming off a huge win against the Coastal Carolina Chanticleers on the road beating them 30 points to 17. This Panthers team they are making noise and they are breaking records. They are on the seventh year head coach Sean Elliott. He's had kind of a an, an uh, meh time there so far. They've not been great. They've been steady but this was a 4-8 and eight team last season. They're 4-0 and oh right now for the first time in the history of this team and they've already equaled last year's win tally. They are one of only five group of five schools to be at that record still undefeated and they received a vote to go in the coaches top 25 poll which may not seem like much because they're not in it but it's the first time they've ever had a vote ever for a top 25 list in their history. Um, so this is really big deal, big territory for them. Like I said, they're coming off a big win against the Chanticleers. They were seven-point underdogs on the road, and they went there, and they landed a big blow on them. They started with a nerv- nervy win over Rhode Island. They were in our survivor section week one, but since then, they've beaten Charlotte, they've beaten Yukon, they've beaten Coastal Cal, who are one of the big dogs in the Sun Belt. This was a win for them in conference. The offense, led by Darren Granger, the quarterback, he's thrown for a 1,000 yards. He's got seven touchdowns, no interceptions, and he's throwing with 70% completion on the year. His offensive line has only given up three sacks in four games. It ranks middle of the pack in tackles for loss allowed, which is perfectly acceptable. Their running back, Marcus Carroll, leads the FBS with eight touchdowns on the season, and he's rushed over 500 yards already. And Robert Lewis, the wide receiver, he has nearly 400 receiving yards and five touchdowns on the year, which is sixth amongst all receivers in the FBS. On defense, they're spearheaded by their run defense, which is 23rd in the nation. It's giving up less than 90 yards per game on the ground. They do give up a little bit more in the air, but this is a team creating turnovers. They've got seven on the year already including four interceptions. They are they have a rough schedule this year. They face a home game against Troy, the current Sunbelt champions, this coming weekend. But they've just taken Coastal Cal out of the way. And when we did the Sunbelt ride, you know, we talked about Marshall, we talked about Coastal, we talked about South Alabama, we talked about James Madison. We didn't talk much about Georgia State. And, you know, they've... This is a really impressive start to the season for them. I mean, that Coastal win is big because they are and have been one of the top dogs in the Sun Belt recent years and you've still got Grayson McCall over centre there, so under centre there. So Sean Elliott and the Panthers deserving of a bit of love at 4-0. and Yeah, it feels like, I suppose they've really flown under the radar for most people this year and a lot of people will say, oh, well, Chanticleers aren't what they were. And it's true, they aren't what they were. But to win on the road against an established top 50 quarterback in the nation, i say against a previous defending champion, and they pride themselves on their home form, the Coast of Carolina, that's a big win. And to match your win total of last year through four weeks instantly means, like I say, you're heading in the right direction. Everything after you do after this week now is just a bonus and just a step to getting better. And it all starts with one of the, I'm probably right in saying, one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the country. Yeah. That's it. No turnovers. 
completing seven out of every ten passes and is leading the offense up and down the field, protecting the ball. And that's all you ask of the quarterback position and the offensive line, keeping it upright where it can. So with and turnovers, like I say, defense that's not just holding teams, it's also stealing possessions away, able to control time and possession. They could very well be a dark horse for the Sunbelt Championship that we didn't look at. Most people probably didn't look at. And yeah, they do deserve a ton of credit. Like I say, a difficult start. Like I say, they were almost upset, like I say, by Rhode Island. But I know URI are actually a really good FCS team and have had a good year and good last few years. And so they caught them cold. They survived. But the sign of a good team is when you almost stumble and almost upon a banana skin then that wakes you up and suddenly you start putting teams away and you get a little bit more clinical. And that's what they've been ever since then. And this game with Troy, who don't look great, but I saw it last week, like I said, still strong defence, offence, not the best, but they will they will offer some competition against Daniel Granger. He will have to be on top form on that offensive line if they do want to come away with a win. So we're going to definitely see how their title credentials are tested this weekend. Yeah, you've got Troy and Marshall coming up in the next two games. They're two of the guys who are going to be going for the Sunbelt title. You've already dispatched one team that were, and, and that's probably Coastal done for the year now because you don't really see a route where they're going to win every game in the Sunbelt. You can't really afford to lose games like that. But yeah, Georgia State, it is a great story so far with them. 4-0 over four weeks. Big win over the Chanticleers. As I say, this offense is... Very well balanced. Darren Granger had 190 passing yards and a touchdown against the Chanticleers. Marcus Carroll ran for 150 yards and a touchdown. So you're evenly distributing the run and the pass, keeping teams guessing, and you put away a good team. So excellent work by them and wanted to just show them some love this week. Now, don't go and get blown out by Troy. Otherwise, I might have to stop this segment before it even begins. Right, let us move on and... You know, I know we're coming to what's going to be Ryan's favourite section this week because, oh boy, we love to talk teams who are fraudulent. So we are going to the fraud corner. It was always going to happen. Six ranked matchups this weekend, all ranked matchups, the first time since 2006. So some big teams were going to take L's, but sometimes it's the manner which exposes a team for who they are. And certainly the couple that I've got in here regarding the all-ranked ones, it was the manner of the game in which we lost. It's why they're in there. And we're going to start with our favourite fraud because we've been at them a few years now and we just thought they were starting to turn a corner under new head coach Marcus Freeman and new quarterback Sam Hartman. Of course, we are talking about the Notre Dame fighting Irish at home to the Ohio State Buckeyes. They lost once again the second year in a row on the last play of the game, going down 17-14 to to the Buckeyes. Um, oh, hang on, let me put my time in here because we're nearly gone and we started at 45. And let me just get the stats up for this game because this this is not a good week to be Marcus Freeman. He let this game slip between his fingers. It was a very defensive game, this was. They say only 31 points scored. There were only three points scored in the entirety 
of the first half, there was a Jaden a Jaden fielding thirty one yard field goal with just twenty six seconds left in the second quarter, and I think that came off a turnover, so it was going to be nil nil at the half. Uh, third quarter, things start to pick up. Travion Henderson sixty one yard touchdown run in the third makes it ten nil. Um, Notre Dame hit back though. Eight minutes later, Gbram Payne one yard run gets in there, so it's ten seven Ohio State. Notre Dame then take control of this game and Rico Flores Jr. goes in from two yards, a touchdown pass from Sam Hartman. But it's at this point in the game where things started to get really interesting. So Freeman's team, they led for all but one second of the final eight minutes, but they just couldn't put this team away. Ohio State's defense gave the ball back to Kyle McCord with 86 seconds remaining in the fourth quarter and he did not look good to this point but in fairness he engineered a very good final drive for this team despite multiple tense moments on this they were fourth and seven at one point it just barely turned into a first down then McCord found Emika Egbuka with a 21 yard reception when they were third and 19 to set the Buckeyes up at the goal line on the one-yard line. And this is where it gets bad for Notre Dame. Notre Dame, for the last two plays of this game, only had 10 men on the field. So they were missing a D-lineman um, when Kyle McCord had an incomplete pass to Marvin Harrison Jr. on a second and one. And at this point, even Ryan Day hadn't noticed that they were a man down on the field. A timeout is then taken. A timeout is then taken. Ryan Day realises that the Notre Dame defence is a man short on the D-line. So he substitutes in a running back. Marcus Freeman still doesn't notice. But by the time he does, it's too late. And Chip Trainum runs up the middle for one yard. Touchdown, one second left in the... Oh, sorry, three seconds left at this point. There's one second left after the score goes in. And Ohio State walk... Well, not walk this off. They have to do the kickoff. But with one second left in the game, it's over. And I mean, it's, it's bewildering, isn't it, Ryan? For a team like Notre Dame, who have a big label as chokers in the big games they can't win the big games when it matters and you're just thinking for the first time they've got Ohio State here Ohio State don't look good in the slightest and the two biggest plays of your season you're a man light on defense and you don't even know about it and there's a timeout in between and you still do not notice that is just so Notre Dame to do that and ultimately it shouldn't be happening this was a, a bad game between not great teams. This is one of the worst Ohio State teams I have seen in a decade, maybe. Oh, when you think about, they've had like, so they've had CJ Stroud, they've had Justin Fields, they had Dwayne Haskins, they had JT Barrett, they had Cardale Jones. The list goes on, like the, the powerhouse names they've had on the centre and the offences that they've just rattled through teams for six, seven, eight years. Like I said, I've never been enamoured of Carl McCord. I don't think anyone is by that stretch of the imagination. He is not the heir apparent. Their, their situation is not great. I did not, Travion Henderson did actually step up this week. I feel like he's, their running game, I feel like, I feel like him in general has been quiet 
he's he's been in and out, up and down. But when this was not a game for passing the ball, this was a smash mouth, ugly, gritty game. And for such a, a prestigious defensive corner, Marcus Newman, to get in front and then not be able to put a game away for like eight minutes, I'd say. And then it's weird, like the blame has to go to, I'd say, did the players not tell the sideline someone was missing? Like, they must have been counted. Like, linebackers and safeties, it's their job to look for count men up, like I said, before snaps. But also, no one, no coach to not realise. Like I said, one person on that defensive line potentially stops. Might have had the former Arizona State running back, Chip Trainer, potentially stops him running up the middle for a game winning score. But they're like a comedy of errors. Like, the game was just sloppy. And Notre Dame. Like I said, how many how many opportunities are they going to get in the next couple of years to beat Ohio State? How many have they had and let slip by? Not many. When these moments come, you have to grasp them with both hands. You cannot let them slip by. This is Sam Hartman's legacy on the line here. Like I said, this is his draft stock. This is Marcus Freeman's reputation and his future as the, the head coach of the team. And these... You've got to capitalise on these moments. A, a, a fairly weak Ohio State team was there to be put away, but in the end, it was too big for them, and they let themselves down with self-inflicted errors. And those are the kind of things that the fans, most importantly, won't be able to accept. You can't live with that. You can live if a team goes out there and rightly beats you, but when you're not clinical enough to maintain a lead, and then when it matters the most, make boneheaded errors, they'll turn. They will turn on you. So I knew I was like, Ohio State weren't great anyway. And I felt like Notre Dame up until now were just beating minnows and just picking on small teams, like dropping 40, 45 points. I like, that doesn't impress me. Beating Navy 45-3, that doesn't impress anybody, pal. Your first real test of the year, nah, you've slipped up already. Yeah, and this is like I say, they consider themselves to be a prestigious program. They, they do. Prestigious programs don't do that. Like, you can understand missing one play, like missing a count. I mean, they talk about head coaches and all the decisions they have to make so quickly, but you've got a timeout, two plays, last play of the game, to the point where the opposition coach recognises it. Not only does he recognise it, but he schemes. He schemes to do. I mean, you're, you're running the ball behind. You know, with three seconds left, if you fail with no timeouts, the clock runs out. Like, he had another two shots if he wanted to, two pass attempts. And instead he goes, nope, I'm going to run the ball and I'm going to risk losing it all. And and he takes it over because that guy's not in there. It's like, you can't do that as a Notre Dame head coach. You just cannot. You are, you have a label as chokers already. You can't win the big games. You are not an elite team. You sure as hell aren't because you can't win those big games. This was your chance. And you blew it. And just to say how bad Ohio State works, this was meant to be Notre Dame going in the fraud section. But I'm quite happy to put Ohio State in there as well. I mean, I mean Ryan Day annoyed me afterwards, coming back out afterwards, attacking Lou Holtz. I'm so proud of this team. These team are really good. You know, look at us. We've got backbone. We've got spine. Mate, Michigan and Penn State are going to abuse you. Like, they are going to absolutely abuse the hell out of that team because they don't... Well, Penn State might, but Michigan sure as hell won't choke like that. If that was Michigan, they'd have finished that game eight minutes earlier and they wouldn't have even had a shot at it. 
Penn State, I don't think, would either. This is nothing for you to be proud of, Ryan Day. I mean, they had a 38% success rate on offensive plays. That's 33rd percentile. It is poor. Their EPA on rushes, so the expected points when they were rushing the ball, is minus 0.18. That's 22nd percentile. They were 23% in the red zone. That's 17th percentile. I mean, it's just, it's incredibly bad. On defense, I mean, they couldn't run. They couldn't stop Audric Estime running the ball on them. The havoc rate was non-existent. It was two percent on there. They, there was no sacks in this game whatsoever. There was only three tackles for loss in this game. It was just the run defenses were sort of hammering up one another. I mean, Sam Hartman, he was seventeen of twenty-five, one hundred and eighty-eight yards and a touchdown. I mean, that's fine. It's not great. But it's fine. Kyle McCord, 21 of 38, 240 yards. No touchdowns, no interceptions. You know, it's on Travion Henderson. He had 104 yards and a touchdown on the day. Chip Trainham had the winning one. But he only had six carries for 13 yards. I mean, the Ohio State wide receivers did what they do. 96 yards for a Booker on seven catches. Kate Stover's actually looking pretty good. Seven catches, 52 yards. He's impressing me at tight end. He's big there. Marvin Harrison didn't do much. Julian Fleming's an afterthought in that team at the minute. And I mean, it's just... Ohio State are just not good at the minute. They're they're in the fraud category, aren't they? They may be unbeaten, but they, they are getting nowhere near the Big Ten Championship this year. No, I just can't see it. Unbeaten, but that's because their schedule heavy loaded but the moment like you say the big boys come to town I expect Kyle McCord to just look all at sea right now like you say he looks fine and looks comfortable but that's because no one's really applying any pressure to him like I say when he comes up against that Penn State defense I expect the receivers and the quarterback in the backs to face a much sterner challenge like I say Notre Dame defense is not bad but both offences in this game did more than enough to win the game. But, they, like I said, things held them back. Like I said, it's just both quarterbacks' numbers, both rushing numbers, like all of them, more than comfortable enough to win a game. But both defences held the other team back. They say coaching decisions. It just, who knows where the, the box score does not tell the story of the game at all. It looks like it was a really clean game from both teams. But in fact, it was just really ugly. Yeah, yeah, 100% it was. It felt like Notre Dame's Cup final. Like, British fans said it a lot. Like, yeah. Like, you, you've only come here because, like you say, you want to see the other team or this is, this is your one big game of the season. Wouldn't that be a bit Notre Dame's biggest game this season? Or when you look at it, it could be. And they didn't win. Like I said, so everything else now after this, will it feel as sweet? Will you always just think about this? Will you keep coming back to this one game that you should have won? Mm. I feel like they will then. I mean, you've got USC and Clemson coming up on the schedule. USC is the big rivalry game coming up. I mean... Yeah, Clemson, Clemson, Notre Dame, do they care yeah. about each other really? No. I don't feel like they do. No, no, I, I don't think so. But yeah, and you, USC, well, their offence will absolutely rout them. Yeah, I, th- I think... If you're Notre Dame, you've got to go and beat USC now. If you want to reclaim your credibility from this, you've got to go and beat them. And I think the odds of that happening are very slim, but who knows? I think you've got Duke and Louisville coming first. We'll go talk about ND again later. So, yeah, both of them bad. 
bad game of football. Everyone said it was great. No, it wasn't. These were two fraudulent teams playing one another. One got exposed. One will be exposed sooner rather than later. I do know, I suppose, like you say, because it was so close. But if you were a fan of either team, mm. you definitely wouldn't say it was a great or a spectacle. Oh, God. No. Or if you're Ohio State, you're still worrying about the offense not clicking just yet. Oh, yeah. Oh, some Ohio State fans will not be. that. This win does not move the needle no. for them. No. Not when you've just listed off all those quarterbacks there and it's like Kyle is struggling. So, I mean, I know it's his first few games, but still, just doesn't look promising whatsoever. Right, let's move it on. And, you know, I think there's one fraud that needs to be exposed more than anyone this week because I'm just fed up of them at this point. They're never going to do anything relevant. We're, of course, talking... And the coach. The coach is a fraud. Talking about the old Miss Rebels and Lane Kiffin. And we both went to bat for them last week, heading to Tuscaloosa to play a bad Alabama team. And it is a bad Alabama team this year. And it was not pretty in this game. I mean, they went up early. Will Ry- you know, Alabama did nothing in the first half of this game. They had a couple of Will Reichard field goals. And I mean, he looks like the best kicker in the country at the minute. So one good thing for Alabama. Jackson Dart had a 10-yard touchdown run in, in that. So they go into the half 7-6 up. But then... You let this game go. Alabama score 18 points in 11 minutes. And all Old Miss can rattle up is a field goal. Will Rychard with his third field goal to start with. Then, actually, a really good throw from Jalon Milrow where he got absolutely cleaned out by the pass rush. But he hit a 33-yard pass to Jalen Hale. Uh, There was a two-point conversion from Ty Simpson because Milrow had to go out the game because of the hit that he took from that. He did come back in later. And then at the start of the fourth quarter, Jason McClellan goes in for an eight-yard touchdown run. And Old Miss do the square root of squat in the second half of this game. They're at Alabama. They're vulnerable, right? They've got them on the ropes at home. They can't do nothing but hit field goals. And once again, the most overhyped team in college football and the most overhyped coach who has done nothing there, his biggest win at Old Miss is a win in 2020 over the 8th-ranked Indiana Hoosiers. That is his biggest win there, and yet he gets all this attention, he gets all this praise, has been a great coach. Once again, Rye, biggest frauds in the nation, Old Miss. Yeah, they, they severely let me down. Everyone knows this Bama team is not a shade on the teams we've seen the last four or five years. Quarterback situation... Okay, they're finding they're finding their feet, but before the season on paper, didn't look great. McClellan had a really good game this week, but they were kind of working out that. And like I said, they're relying on a kicker. When has the Crimson Tide ever had to rely on a kicker to score uh, uh, to finish off drives because they're stalling? They just keep stalling and settling for field goals. That is unlike any Alabama team I ever know. And this Ole Miss team. He's just related with talent. Like I said, you've got Zachary Franklin, who so far today has done nothing. He's not getting used. But Quinchon Judkins, like I say, a top five nation back in the nation, last year broke out, put ridiculous numbers, and he was expected to complement the quarterback situation. But it's just not happening. Like I, said, I was never keen on Jackson Dart anywhere. I, I, I still don't think he's the issue. Like I say, Lane Kiffin... Like I say, he's very well paid. 
the Rebels are a very prestigious program. He came to Ole Miss to win SEC championships. I said he's at the moment. I said after that upset where he screwed up last year, he ain't got anywhere close to a bloody division title. It just feels like they're destined to always be a bridesmaid, never the bride. Like they're never going to be able to take that final jump. And how long do you put up with it? Like I say, when do they say enough is enough? When is it he can't talk himself out of slipping up? Like I say, he's got a good chat and his social media game is slick. Like I say, Lane Kiffin thinks of himself incredibly highly and he can talk the talk. But so far, the Rebels, under his leadership, they are not walking the walk. And when I thought leading at halftime, I thought I was right to pick them in prediction. I felt like comfortable. I thought, oh, they've scored. Bama seven field goals. Come at half. And they're just sleepwalking. They just sleepwalk into a loss. And now I just look at them and I think, well, I'm not picking them again this season. They could go win nine, ten games, but I don't believe I don't have any faith in them anymore. Like every time I kind of back them I did like last year, like they just made me look silly. Yeah, they made us both look silly this week. And I mean, for Lane, you know, he gets all this but like they play LSU this weekend and you know, we'll go talk about that one later, but if they lose to LSU this week, is it not a point in his tenure after four years and you lose to the worst Bama team in a decade and a half and you lose to LSU, who are nothing special, let's face it. Do you, do you start talking hot seat then? Because surely he can't, they can't go no further under him. If he can't break the smallest of glass ceilings, because it's at a low bar at the minute, surely somewhere along the line you've got to just go, uh-uh, not working, you're gone. Yeah. If he if it gets to a point where they say like you've taken us as far as you can take us, but you've had multiple opportunities to make the jump, to win a title, to get to SEC championship contention, like I said to even have the whisper of college playoff berth like happen. But so far, none of that's happened in four years. And if I had to guess, I'd say he's probably one of the highest earning coaches in the nation. That that probably goes without saying because, and. His reputation obviously does proceed like say he won that uh, the FAU won a title there in his first year and he turned that program around. And I don't know, is he living off that? It feels like maybe he's kind of still living off of that. Mm. Like this this stint at the Rebels, however long it takes, it's gonna take some sheen off the record. But like I say, his winning record, his percentage is fine. But in SEC play, it's still very average. Like I say, and the games he'd like to win, he's not doing so. LSU feels like a huge game for his future and the program. Yeah. What direction they're going in? I agree. I just think they just feel flat at this point, and you know, for a team that's so talented and so young, mm. like it's just they just seem unable to just compete with the big boys. Yeah. So I've just checked. He's he's fourteen and twelve in SEC record, but obviously. A lot of that was the six and two that he got in the twenty twenty one season when they made the Sugar Bowl. And that'll include wins like against Kentucky, yeah. and Missouri, and yeah. Vanderbilt, and Arkansas, which is it, it fleshes it out, doesn't it? And that's the issue. Yeah, fourteen twelve is not good enough if you're one of the highest paid coaches in college football. You've got to do better than that. And you know, this is the weakest Alabama have been. Hell, South Florida gave them a game, and they're chief at one of the yes, worst G five teams yes, going. Team general is weak. It's terrible. Everything after Georgia this year, it just falls off a cliff. 
I mean, Missouri are one of the last unbeaten teams in the SEC this year, and I'm not taking fun at Missouri, but that kind of shows you what's going on. Yeah, there's three teams. I think there's Georgia. There's um, oh god, who else is unbeaten? Georgia will be unbeaten. Missouri will be unbeaten, and it'll be oh, it's going to be some other nondescript team that's not played anybody yet. But yeah, you can see a lot of the top ones have lost. So yeah. Bad, bad week for our old Miss, and they're in the fraudulent column. I'm sorry. Alabama are not going in there because we know they're not good. They've not pretended to be good this year, so they don't go in. Um, right, let's move it on to the next game. Let me just get my marker up here. Oh, Brent's in the chat. Hope you are doing well, Brent. Thanks for joining us, as always. Um, so, I mentioned this earlier. We've got to put them in there. Are we putting USC in here? Yeah. Right, so we're going to put them in. USC going in the fraud corner for this season. They didn't actually lose, but they were given a hell of a fight by the Arizona State Sun Devils, 42-28. to And this wasn't like Arizona State put up a load of garbage time points against them. I think it was a six-point differential going into the fourth quarter here before they scored a couple of touchdowns in the fourth quarter but this is an Arizona State team that got shut out by Fresno State last week at home lost 29-0 to again putting four touchdowns down on this team and the reason USC are fraudulent quite simply this defense it has been we talk about it all the time Lincoln Riley's inability to create a defense which is going to win a title is going to come and hurt him. They gave up 28 to San Jose State at the start of the season. They've given up 28 to Arizona State this week, coming all over the field as well. That Drew Pine did all right. Drew I think Pine. he's. I think he's, he's in. First on the start. Yeah, he's, the, he's QB three. Yeah, as well. 21 of 36, 221 yards, two touchdowns. There was one pick in there. Cameron Scatibo. 20 carries, 111 yards, 5.5 per carry, touchdown on the day for him. He actually had 79 receiving yards and a touchdown as well. So his day was 190 yards and two touchdowns on the day for Skatibo. Um, but this was, I mean, it was, I watched the highlights back of this. This was fairly competitive throughout most of this. And you know, I say Arizona State bouncing back in that, but. We're seeing the same problem with this USC team. When they're going to come up against someone who's going to be able to fight back in terms of having a high-level offense and has a defense to stop them scoring 40 a game, they're in a lot of bother this season, as always, and they're not going to make the playoffs. USC are just so fortunate they're in the Pac-12. Like, it really does. It's their saving grace. Because, as you mentioned, like, Arizona State were plucky. This is I've actually this is probably the best Penny Dillingham's like say probably the best game he's coached the season so far. And if they've won a game, but I say when they beat Northern the Northern Arizona Southern, Southern Utah. Yeah. They were crap. They played terribly. Fresno State, abysmal. But I say through three quarters they were pretty much stride for stride with USC. And that's not a compliment. <laughs> That's not, that's not a comp. That's not good for USC. I say because if you look at a lot of like ESPN rankings out of twelve teams, most people have ASU bottom, below Stanford. Everyone thinks ASU are the worst team in the Pac-12. Jaden Rashada is a mixture of injured, not ready, 
And to be honest, probably that would be a Sun Devil after this year. It'll be another case of where everyone hits the portal again, potentially. I won't be surprised if he left. But yeah, bringing in a backup that's making his first start that's not been football ready for a while. Uh, and he, he, he goes out and does that to your defence. Not a good look. And USC, the fact that yeah, they've got an offence to bail them out week in, week out. But you can't keep going to the well because pretty quickly the well's going to run dry. Anywhere it's going to be in Oregon, uh, Washington State, an Oregon State, or like a Utah, that well will dry up at some point in the season. And if you're done in the Pac-12 and they make the playoffs, it will lay or it will out of conference. Yeah, you yeah. can still be a fraud and go like eleven and one. Oh like yeah, say a fraud, like you say, literally, where you just pick on teams and you just beat all the teams you should be. But when you come up against someone that offers a little bit more challenge, if they go out there and they get pretty much shut down, then well, everyone's going to see. Well, you've seen against Tulane and Utah in the Rose Bowl in the last two years. They they've been exposed. For, oh no. Hang on, it was Tulane last year in the Rose Bowl, sorry. You saw them exposed. You know, a team who could keep up with them offensively and had a defence that could shut them out enough to do so. And, and they've not faced any of the heavy hitters yet. You know, they've got a cakewalk in Colorado this week. and no, then, it's, been an, it's been a fairly easy start of the year again. Yeah, and this is not taking anything away from Caleb Williams. He's the best quarterback in the nation right now. And that offence is absolutely humdinging. I mean, it's all you can really say about it. It's just, it's it's so good. I mean, Zacharias Branch continues to be good for them. Marshawn Lloyd's breaking out. I think he had what, it felt like he had nearly 200 yards that game rushing on the ground against them. But the offense is fine, but they're fraudulent because the defense is just no good. So, yeah, it's going to be, they're going to come unstuck eventually. I don't think they're going to get the playoffs. I think someone's going to someone's going to take them out for that. Could be Utah. Utah are looking good this year, but we'll talk about them shortly. Um, so they're the three big ones. Is there anyone else who goes into your fraudulent corner who you want to mention this week before we move on to the upsets? Because I feel like they're they're the really big ones. But anyone else you want to put in? I'm not going to put Florida State in. Ooh. I'm not going to put them in. Like are they on notice. They're on notice. Like say. They played an ugly game, but they found a way to win. And that I give them credit for. Like I say, they stood tall when it mattered the most. But I've shown they are, they can be made to look vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah. I, I that agree. They are nothing. That's what I will say now. I've realised that. Like say, if he picks up a knock, they're derailed. It's The train has come off the track. Yeah, yeah, I, I would agree with that. So that that may be on notice, but they, they are doing well. But you've still got a few other competitors in the ACC at the minute. So we'll see. But we're going to talk about them in a bit. So we'll move it on. So that was the fraudulent corner this week. Now we're going to the upset corner, and, and not as many this week, but there were some quite significant ones, and we need to give some love out here. So the Mac has taken a little bit of a beating. Um, in recent weeks um, a lot of the teams again have not been good but there was a very very surprising result this week and I'm going to be having stitches with the South Alabama Jaguars this season but they but the South Alabama Jaguars upset by the Central Michigan Chippewas and this Coming after South Alabama have just dispatched of Oklahoma State on their home turf, 
to zip pretty much. It was a, a one-sided affair all over the place. Then the Chippewas roll into town and they've they've not been great. They nearly got upset by New Hampshire a couple of weeks ago, FCS team, and they come in and drop 34 on them. And I just don't get this South Alabama team this year. We know they're good. But Central Michigan, we've got to give them props this week, right? Jace Bauer, the quarterback, 19 of 30, 224 yards and a touchdown, 13 carries, 66 yards and four touchdowns. South Alabama didn't seem to have any answers to the quarterback carries here in this one. Their offense was fine. Carter Bradley, again serviceable, 17 of 26, 260 yards, two touchdowns, no picks on the day and Colin Lacey's really balling out there for them he had six catches for 136 yards two touchdowns an emerging stud in that Jaguars side but <clears throat> Central Michigan they went down two scores very early in this one end of first quarter is 14-0 you're thinking uh oh they're in a lot of bother they strike back they win the second quarter 13 to nothing so it's 14-13 at the half to the Jags but then Central Michigan they come out it's a field goal for South Alabama and a touchdown for Central Michigan in the third. And then they kind of just trade blows in the fourth. It's 14-13. to 13 and, and Central Michigan come out on top of this one by four. But really big win for the Chippewas just coming into the Mac season now. Because like the main Mac guys have been pulling off some big wins. But this they were 16.5 point underdogs for this one on the road. Go to South Alabama, knock them off. Big win for the Chippewas, right? Yeah. And it's nice to say something good about a Mac team this year because the Mac, <laughs> I suppose, could we say it's been underwhelming? I think that'd be fair as a conference. Like you say, the out of conference have been okay. Like you say, at the NIU being Boston College, that was a bit of a scalp. So I'd say that and this are the biggest out of conference Mac scalps. Mm. South Alabama or, like I say, Dr. Alabama. Dr. South, Mr. Alabama, Jackal and Hyde. I, I don't know, they're weird. Like this is they had an, a golden opportunity to win a championship this year. I see you put them in the title game. I didn't, but I thought highly of them. They are not playing like a team that wants to win a ring this year. Like I said, they are way too up and down. Like I said they're impossible to predict and for them they, they still probably look at this as like say this is a this is a bad loss. This is a team you really should be being. Like I said, Chippewas didn't start the year great. And this is the kind of team that if you've got title credentials, you should be dispatching fairly easily. And after one quarter, they were. I don't know what went wrong. Like I said, even at the half, they still had a lead. But it felt like the Chippewas always had them at arm length. They yeah. were just constantly trying to play a catch-up, like I say, running after a carrot on a treadmill. They weren't getting any closer, despite huffing and puffing. And this will be one of those games where when you look back and the season's disappointment, you look back at a game like this and say, that's where we let ourselves down. That played a big part in what happens at the end of the year. So, But for everyone else, like you say, your uh, you're Troys and them, they'll be looking just like, Sweet, thanks a lot, Central Michigan. He is a big old favour taking out South Alabama. So this will give even the rivals even more like encouragement. So they need it they need to bounce back. And they need to bounce back in a big way. They need to go out there and put an open a can of ass whooping on someone. 
Yeah, absolutely. They need to get back big, and they're in the pick watch this week, so we're going to see what we think about them. I think Cam has actually been really good. Yeah. He's definitely not a quarterback issue on this team, but it's a lot of other moving parts that are not all pulling in the same direction. I think it's a defensive issue. You can't give up 34 points to Central Michigan. You, you just can't. Especially four from the quarterback. You, you, you are having trouble with quarterback draws and stuff then. So, well done Central Michigan. Upset for them this week. Ken Stouders in the chat. Thanks for joining us, Ken. Hope you are well. Uh, second and second upset this week. The Southern Miss Golden Eagles. Seven-point favourites on the road to the Arkansas State Red Wolves, who under Butch Jones have been, quite frankly, a little bit of a joke this year. There was that big meme of him earlier in the season when I think they lost... You know, they had 73, I think it was, put down on them in one week and his player was, like, comforting, trying to make him feel better and everything. Your seven-point favourites on the road to them get beaten 44-37. to 37. Arkansas nearly dropping a 50-burger on them here. I mean, the Golden Eagles are another one who, you know, you kind of dark horse this year. Frank Gore Jr. is there. He's good. 132 yards on 20 carries, nearly 7 yards a carry for him and a touchdown on the day. He continues to be great, but I mean, it's you're having questions about your defense when you're giving up 44 to Arkansas State, right? This is this is a big shock there, because that Arkansas State program is in shambles. Uh, but fair play to them for beating Southern Miss. Yeah. It's one of those results where you, if you don't know like the backstory, you kind of don't look at it again. But when you realise, like you say, that the Red Wolves for a couple of years now have been on this weird spiralling path, and then you see them, like you say, upset the uh, bookies' favourites and, like you say, drop a, sh- a shitload of points on them, like say, it kind of makes you wonder, like, why did Frank Gore stay at Southern Miss? But mm. for, for me, for his like you know, his profile, like you say, not the right kind of PR move. Like I say, could have got a good jump and been a lead back somewhere else. I respect what he's doing, but I don't know if it's big enough. Like I say, especially when they're getting upset like this for his draft stock and for his 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 reputation, his credibility. Like I say, I, I don't know how long they'll keep hold of him after this year. He definitely might look to take a step up, but yeah, not good for uh, the Golden Eagles and a rare win for Arkansas State. Will this will this trigger something? Was it a flash in the pan? Will they go back to next week just being them same old selves again? See, we, we don't know. We'll see what they actually take out of this if it is able to kind of galvanise them. Yeah, it was, um, yeah, great win for Arkansas State. So, you know, you've just got to, they, they, you know, they needed that after some of the big tankings. They're 2-2 two and two on the year, but after some of the tankings they've taken, it's big there in Southern Miss. Yeah, really bad loss for them. Uh, so they are in the upset corner. But the most fun upset of the week, and I've left it for last because it was it, this was just this game was just hilarious all told. Um, you probably know where this is going, right? It's in the Big Ten. Um, Eleven point road favorites, Minnesota, traveling to Northwestern on the road. This game. <laughs> Finishes 37-34 to Minnesota, but this is this is not any of it. So in going into the fourth quarter, this game is 31-10 to the Minnesota Golden Gophers and 21 unanswered points from a Northwestern team who are they in 
trouble off the field. We talked about that at the beginning of the season. There is scandal all over the place there. This team is absolutely terrible. And Minnesota, a team who run the ball really well, you think, come on, you're three scores up with one quarter to go. You're going to score something. You know, you can run the clock out. You can do what you want with them. This was gaff after gaff after gaff. There was a punt which they could have put down at the one which the guy let, you know, one of the Minnesota cover guys, he let it bounce off him into the end zone for a touchback. It was like, it was crazy. He should have downed it at the one, and he almost just knocked it into the end zone, and they just scored three touchdowns unanswered. It goes to overtime. Northwestern get a touchdown in overtime, and then, uh, sorry, Minnesota get a field goal. Northwestern just roll down the field, Score another touchdown in overtime. 27 of their 37 points come in the fourth quarter or later. And, I mean, Ben Bryant threw for 400 yards and four touchdowns. This was... I don't even know how to describe this one, Ryan. Minnesota, how do you let 21 points slip against Northwestern? Just just, just how? Oh, I know the answer to that. I could probably replace PJ Fleck myself. He is on a hot seat. He has got to be. He got that, what, fucking, like a, a nine-year extension a few years ago? Like, why? What has he done in Big Ten play in Minnesota? What have the Golden Gophers actually achieved underneath him? Like I said, I watched their game against UNC where they flattered to deceive. They kind of hung in there a little bit, looked okay. In the end, like I said, UNC drained their match down the field and again and again, but right. To have such a healthy lead against this year, as a, you said, a program that collectively on and off the field is rudderless, it's headless. There's no direction. Like I say it's it's scandal. Like I say everyone's looking at it through a, a microscope and a fine tooth comb. And do you know what? I give a lot of credit to them actually to turn that lead over. Like I say to escape with a victory shows a lot about their mental toughness. The fact that they were so far away and like everyone probably watching it were turning off, fans might have been leaving. Like I say, and if they did, well, if anyone left that, a Northwestern fan, they missed a damn good show. Like I say, so full credit to them for not letting their heads drop and coming out and getting a hugely surprising win. But Golden Gophers, they just, they epitome of like, nah. Yeah. That, that's all they, it's like they're all they seem to. Be. even yeah. when they had Tanner Morgan like they were still always just average you could pencil them in for like seven wins a year and that's kind of about it yeah I mean it, it's the quarterback where they struggle I mean Calliot Manis our favourite our favourite name but he's 14 of 19 153 yards and two touchdowns but I had it here just bear with me what was it he got he was really good in the first half so he went Calliot Manis went 14 of 19 for 153 yards and two touchdowns in the first half. Second half, he goes 6 of 11 for 56 and no touchdowns. It's like, stop passing the ball. They run the ball really well. I mean, the running back, Darius Taylor, he had 31 carries, 198 yards, two touchdowns. They still run the ball really well, and he looks really good, actually, you know, they lost Mo Ibrahim last year. They're just a running back factory who keep producing guys, but you can't run the ball. And Ben Bryan, I don't know why the hell he's at Northwestern, but he's a gunslinger. He can put four or five hundred yards up in a game if he wants to, but 
that's just rough. That is so, so rough for Minnesota, and it's really disappointing given everything, you know. I say I thought they looked all right against UNC last week. They just quarterback quarterback was just not good enough, but they looked decent. I thought they might do something in the Big Ten this year, but apparently not. They've lost to one of the worst teams there, and I, I agree. PJ Flex got to be on a hot seat. It's just it'll be the length of that contract that protects him, won't it? Yeah, the buyout. Like he might not be on the highest salary, but the fact he's got so much protection, mm. like, and we've also we tend to see. Like I say we see this tendency now where coaches on long contracts, so if they're just like above or the epitome of average, like what well, like we saw with Pat Fitzgerald, it's a bang average for like ten years, but every two or three years he'd have a really good year in mm. Northwestern. But they never really thought like we could do better. They didn't want to get better, so they didn't get rid of him. Like I said. I don't see Minnesota getting rid of Penny Jeff like any time soon. Even if this team regresses even further another year or two. If you look at how much it's gonna cost to get rid of him, it probably keeps him around a little bit longer, but it's just it feels like dead money. It just feels like this team is just they're just treading water. Yeah. And if I'm honest, like the state of the Big Ten outside of Minnesota and outside of Michigan and Penn State is bad. Yeah. It's really bad. It's not like, good. Is someone going to actually try and challenge them? Obviously, yeah. like, fair enough, Ohio State, Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan. But it's been them three now for what feels like a decade. Mm. Later with the odd Wisconsin, odd Michigan State kind of like cameo of year. Yeah. But so far, for year on year on year, no one bridges the gap. Someone's mm. got to eventually, but is it going to be Wisconsin? Like I say, I thought it could have been Purdue, but well, not. No. But no, it's just frustrating. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, and they say a lot of these teams bogged themselves down with long-term coaches. Michigan State, nine years, Mel Tucker, handcuffed themselves to him. You know, Minnesota handcuffed themselves to P.J. Really Fleck. Like in college sports, like they do it all the time. It has to be a way to make it yeah. more affordable. Yeah, and, and you've got to have better standards, like you say. You just have, you know. So, because if Penn State don't do it this year, then I'm like, right, I'm question in Franklin's future it's like you've got to have standards and aspirations otherwise you're just never going to get to the top and USC and UCLA are coming next year so you go even you're going even further down the pecking order conferences yeah, are gone so all those rancid teams in the west are going to lose the protection of the conference they're going to go into one big smorgasbord of teams in there they could play some one rotten schedules the big 10 could instantly make an impact where yeah. all these current like main layers have just failed for years and it show them up. Yeah. If oh. a newbie comes in and like whips them all, you're gonna look pretty stupid. Yeah, abs- absolutely one hundred percent you are. So yeah, I'm disappointed in those guys there. But well done to Northwestern. Big win for that program in the grand scheme of things. Great there for them. Right, I'm gonna do that at one thirty. Gonna move on to the pick watch games now that we've not discussed, so we've discussed a couple of them already. Ever week. Um it was it was not a great week for you, I was it? Bottom, and I've I've never come I've never like I I've never had a losing record. <laughs> I've never gone a week for a losing record. This is the first time in what two two years and like Yeah. It feels like a hundred games. I went like four and six. Yeah, yeah. I only went five and five in fairness. I with some teams who were gonna have words with here let us down. But the first team didn't the Florida State Seminoles? We mentioned them. Winners on the road in Death Valley, first time in a decade. Good for them, thirty-one to twenty-four. Went to overtime. 
Um, a weird end to this game. Both teams squandered opportunities to put this one away right at the end. But Florida State, Keon Coleman, he is him, as Ash says, having a fantastic year. He's putting himself in first-round conversation now, but we'll chat about him in a minute. But, I mean, overall, right, fairly impressive game. Cade Klubnik looked good, Jordan Travis looked good. A battle of two good quarterbacks in this one. We wondered whether Cade could do it. He did. But, I mean, ultimately, it comes down to the defences in this one. Florida State make the big stop in overtime. Clemson are not able to. And, and Keon Coleman, his transfer from Michigan State, inspired because he's he might be behind Marvin Harrison now as the next guy in the 2024 draft. He's having a stellar year. Yeah, I think he's got 10 touchdowns for, like, four games. Like I say, he's, I think he's the leading touchdown scorer in the nation. I think he's got about he's got about six or seven. I think um, the the Georgia State guy's got eight. I think he's got seven. Keon Coleman. Yeah, but yeah, he. If you look at like I say Marvin, like Roma Dunze, guys like him, yeah, he's he's in that conversation now where he's he's creeping into being a first round receiver, and this this game had some of the best skill positions players. And like I said, look at Will Shipley, what a year he's having too. Like I say, he caused their defense all sorts of problems. Like I say, you got Cade, you got Jordan, and in the end, yeah, defense and special teams. If Clemson kicked that field goal before regulation, I'm pretty sure they win the game. And it wasn't even that long. It was only, 30, I think it was only 38 yards. Mm. So yeah, he did not come himself got off. But yeah, when it got to overtime, Florida State didn't drag it out, which you don't want to do. You win it quickly. You get it wrapped up, and yeah, winning in Death Valley never easy. Clemson is a play, hard place to go to, and you take wins any way you can get them, and they they stay alive. They do, and you know your your list of challengers in the AC, in the ACC is is diminishing now. You're down to Duke, you're down to UNC, and you're down to the Miami Hurricanes. I mean, you know, there's four teams left in it. And week by week you go, I think you play Duke in a couple of weeks. You know, other teams can slip up. UNC are flirting with danger in what seems like most weeks at this moment in time. So I'd be disappointed if FSU don't run the table now. No. I They, they should be trying to go 12 and 0. But Anything else for me would be disappointing. But winning the conference at minimum. Yeah. But, uh, but the thing, you know, for Clemson, season's over. Done. Yeah, Clemson are done. Week four. A loss to Duke and a loss in overtime at Florida State. That That's it. You can't win the ACC. You sure as hell are not going to the playoffs. This is... It's a weird situation, Feb. It's kind of a year now where you just try and bed in as many young players as you can and get ready to go to go next year because, like I said... they getting Klubnik ready for next year and the yeah. year after. Yeah, because there's no... Unless Florida State implode... Like properly implode if Duke take a game off them, and then they have got to rely on so many other teams like losing at this point. But they're done for. They don't. They just don't look good. What is it about them? Is it? I think it's the defense. I know they're not giving up much, but it feels like Clemson's defenses over the last few years have given up like sub fifteen points so many times. They've been like elite, elite, elite. They're not quite that. They're still really good, but they're just not elite this year, are they? They're not bailing out the offense anymore. No, the current crop of defenders are not good enough and they're not playing well enough to give the lead offence a big enough handicap. Like I said, they can't they just can't afford 
to give away that many points because I say the offense right now is just it's not built to score forty or fifty, but also it's not built to win by just twenty. But so the defense right now is not can't hold the team to under twenty points. It might do the smaller sides, but the more high powered offenses right now, they they just they can't give that small cushion to the offense and kid. Well done to Florida State. Great for them, and they were they were great for us on the weekend. We all bet on. I think it was a clean sweep on FSU, and eventually they came through with it. So I've got to say though, the crop of ACC quarterbacks this year though is fantastic. Pretty damn good. Yeah, Big club mate, Jordan Travis, Ryan Ryan Leonard. Leonard. like they got Drake May. Like mm. it, it, it's hard bringing probably some of the best quarterback play in the nation right now. Even if the teams themselves are questionable, can't fault the quarterbacks. No, and like lower down, you've, you've even got like like Brennan Armstrong in there and stuff. It's like it's it's pretty decent, you know. It's it. Uh, Louisville, like even Louisville, have been racking yeah. up points for fun too, and that. Yeah, and Virginia's freshman looks pretty decent because they're running a freshman out this year. I can't remember his name, but he's looking pretty decent off the top of my head because I've seen them play a couple of times. So, yeah, I, I agree. So anyhow, let's move it on and to a team who did let us down, severely let us down. We, we talked about this, Lefra. We, we actually talked about why Colorado couldn't win the game against Oregon last week. Like, physically said, they can't do it, but we still picked them. We gave ourselves an essay as to why not to do it. And then just for the hell of it, because it was Dion, we did it. And, oh my God, how wrong we were. Colorado went to Eugene and got absolutely stomped back into the Stone Age. 42 points to 6 um, they didn't score till right at the end of the game either. And this, this Ryan, this was a case of beauty killed the beast because we talked about Colorado and why they've been so good this year is because they've been they've been feeding off hate. Like all these negative people around them, all the people writing them off, they've been sort of taking all that negative energy, taking it in and just like unleashing it on their opponents on the field. But then they go to Eugene this week and you see all the pre-game stuff. They are stomping on the O at the center of the circle. You've got Shilo, I think it's Shilo Sanders, mouthing off at the Oregon coaching staff saying, we're going to run through you all and kill your coach and stuff like that. And they, they became what they despised last week, the team who were running their mouths, getting all big in their boots. And what Oregon did is they became Colorado. They sort of they took all that disrespect, all that hate, all that anger, and you saw Dan Lanning's, you know, pregame speech, which I loved by the way. Everyone's sort of ragging on him for it. I absolutely I got so hyped by that. But they took all that negative energy, they went out there and they absolutely laid a beating for the ages down on them. They ran the ball down their throats, two hundred and forty yards, nine different ball carriers. You know, Colorado ran for 40 yards. They just can't do that. And when they're put in short yardage, they're put in the long yardage situations. Shador Sanders didn't stand a chance. He only threw for 159 yards and a touchdown on the day. It was 23 of 33, but they just controlled time of possession. Over 35 minutes for Oregon. Over 522 yards of offense. Bo Nix went to work. He got picked off once, but it was more of a, a minor inconvenience there. This was, this was role reversal, right? Uh, Colorado fell on their own sword on this one and Oregon, they stuck a second sword in for good measure Yeah, and Dan Lanning is one of the most probably promising head coaches in the country I'm pretty sure like the SEC and that are going to be calling in the next year or two he, They'll always pray like the best Pac-12 coaches but yeah, he's young, 
He's also got experience. Like, say, was he the former Georgia defensive coordinator? I think he, he was. He was yeah, yeah. Line, so, yeah. He he's got a really good resume, and yeah, he's pissed off. And this was one of them games where yeah, Oregon were able to handle their emotions better. Colorado for weeks now, their emotions, like I say, for good or for bad, always seem to get the better of them. And very partisan crowd, like I say, well, it was good mix Colorado, but it was an intense atmosphere. And the hype train is officially derailed. Like I said, it was a very humbling performance. Shadur Sanders, to fair, he got literally no help. Like I said, had a down day, but not no one really did anything of any note to try help him. And I suppose, I wondered, like, I wondered what like the you know, the, the the Travis Hunter effect would be. Mm. How much would this team miss him? It feels like they really do miss him. Like yeah. when he's not on the field, you notice, and that's probably a sign of like how important he is to them. Like you say, he can play both ways, and they struggled receivers getting separation, and their defensive backs struggled to cover receivers and also helping the run game. And Travis, well, as a supreme athlete was missed in both those areas. But, yeah, their antics before the game, after their game, it kind of just fueled Oregon even more. They lit a fire inside them, and Oregon went out there, and literally, they curb-stomped them. And I actually think, in the long term, uh, this would be good for Dion. I think he needed a bit of humbling, a bit of reining in. I reckon when he got home, he probably sat back and reflected, like, we got our house handed to us today. And I don't want to see that happen again. It must have been quite painful. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of people saw this coming. Like you say, we we knew it was going to happen, but we just, I suppose we were, I was blinded by the lights. Like I said, we just both thought, were. Yeah. Yeah. We both but were. In grand scheme of things with football, this is not a bad thing because I no. want to see how Colorado react to it. Like, there's nothing worse than getting your ass absolutely battered, and, and you need a reaction now. And there's nowhere to hide. Because you've got USC yeah. coming to Everyone your home this weekend. Yeah, for the other reasons. Yeah, everyone's expecting you to get smacked this weekend. And Paul like, Craig big... and Bowen, like you say, like, yeah. they look like a team to challenge for the playoffs and challenge USC. Yeah. Like, they lead up to the potential because a lot of people just weren't even, even acknowledging they were even in the game. It was like Colorado in themselves. So yeah. And... It felt a lot of disrespect, I think. And I'll, I'll say I'm, I'm involved in that. I'm probably guilty of maybe disrespecting Colorado, uh, Colorado, sorry, Oregon this year because I'm more of a Washington guy. And but you know you got USC in there, and, and no one is talking about them in that upper echelon. And they say this is the very dangerous thing about playing with raw emotion like Colorado did because it soon turns from a good thing into a bad thing because you then start getting not disrespect, you start getting angry, and you saw the angry Colorado out there who take it too far who let their emotions get the better of them and just another team who had their head screwed on came out and did away with them. And, and Brent's in the chat going, I picked Oregon. I know you did, Brent. We should have. We let our emotions get us on that one. That's usually a me thing to do, to let my emotions get in on that. So, you know, and he goes, as my grandfather used Colorado to say... Win out, I still think they can make the playoffs because I still think they're uh, attractive. They're a draw. To they're a the draw. Fans, the prime, it's not going to lose its glitter anytime soon. Unless they get battered again this week, but yeah, the season's not over, but it's 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 quite a large speed bump they've hit. Oh, could you imagine like Michigan versus Colorado? I mean, they would just destroy one another. Like, oh God, I can't go on Twitter. 
They, no, you would they would They should get in Colorado fans. You, oh yeah, God. they would destroy one another. But it's like you know, burn it down. If you if you want to see a burn it down fixture, Michigan and Colorado in the playoffs would be amazing. Brent goes as my grandfather used to say, Colorado got taken down a peg or two. That they did. So we lost out on that, and we will not be making that mistake again. There are a lot of teams working their way out of our favour. Right, let's move it on. We're going to stay in the Pac-12. Another ranked matchup this weekend, and. Very close. Another defensive game here and one that went against us. UCLA, the Bruins going to Utah. And Utah, you know what? I've backed them the last two years and I've been big believers in them the last two years. This year, I've not been as big a believer in them. Cam Rising has been injured. He has not been playing. They've been they've had Nate Johnson in there instead. But man, Ryan, I tell you what, their defense... Whew, Oh, amazing this year. And in fairness to UCLA, theirs was good as well. This finished UCLA 7, Utah 14. Only 21 points in this game. And there was not that much offense. 264 yards total for UCLA. 231 yards for the Utes. I mean, the figures in this are awful. UCLA's success rate, 27%. Utah's, 28%. They're both sub-5 percentile. Yards per play, just 4 yards per play for UCLA, just 3.5 yards per play for the Utes. That's 4th percentile there. Explosive play rate, just 5% for UCLA, 2% for the Utes. 3rd down success rate, 37% for UCLA, 29% for Utah. Utah, 22% in the red zone. UCLA, in fairness, 50% in the red zone, but I think they only went there once, so uh, twice. <laughs> they scored on one of them, so you know it's it, this was just rotten all over. But the defenses, so havoc rate for UCLA seventeen percent, which is eighty sixth percentile for Utah. It was eighteen, which is eighty ninth percentile. So for UCLA, eleven tackles for loss, four sacks for Utah, eleven tackles for loss, seven sacks on the day, and a pick of Dante Moore as well. UCLA. Three fumbles, all lot, two of them lost. Utah, three fumbles, two of them lost. There were f- there were turnovers galore in this game, and at the end it balances out. Utah had a four point turnover look rating because of what went on in the end, but this was two very aggressive defenses. Right, you've got a freshman on one side of the ball, a backup on the other side of the ball, and both quarterbacks were harassed and hurried. Run games were shut down, and ultimately this just came down to who got enough offense to win the game, and Utah got two touchdowns, UCLA got one. One for the purists, as they say, but Utah, without Cam, that defense has stood up and kept that team going. It was a really good game, in fairness, and Dante Moore, he's had his first lick now. He's done really well to start with. He's had his introduction, and it's going to be interesting to see how he rebounds as well. It was a brilliant game. Everyone knows I love defensive football, not offensive. This was like my kind of dream game. I said, and in fairness, like I say, there was literally nothing separate these two sides. Like I said, you could split a hair between them. You could flip a coin and say either team won. And on the day, it'd have been fair. Like I say, both quarterbacks harassed, both offensive lines rinsed, ball security non non-existent. The pick was like one of the only big things like say happened early on and it seemed to take confidence from Moore and their offensive scheme. 
like you say, it kind of they kind of went into their shell a bit. Oh, it was but a yeah, pick six, wasn't it? Was, it was a pick yeah. six. Sorry, I forgot pick that. Six yeah, really hurt early on, and it kind of like both teams, like you say, went into a shell. And offensively, they were both super conservative, and they were just trying to play not to lose. And that's kind of a defense what they want to see. They licked their lips and they both feasted. And yeah, the team that generated the little bit more minuscule offense, like you say, was the team that won. And yeah, without Cam Rising, his defense has stood up tall for the entire time he's been gone. Like six, he, he was for, for the last game, lashing the ball. Like I said, start all this year, the Utah defense has been great. And they've pretty much put their quarterback, the backup, on the back when needed to, and made life pretty easy for him. And yeah, UCLA, they'd be upset, but their defense was fantastic. As you mentioned, Dante Moore, who I think is still a really good quarterback. He's still learning, made a rookie error. And in the end, it was the points differential. But they can take a lot from the game. Like I say, they're both still firmly in contention to cause massive upsets. But yeah, it was a really good standoff between both of them. And they both just, just went helpful over on each other. Yeah, and there were some real standout performances in this. So Jonah Ellis, the outside linebacker for Utah, nine pressures on the day, four sacks, five quarterback hurries, Five tackles, eight run stops for him on the day. He had a perfect, he had a 91 grade on the day. Then you've got Logan Faino, the uh, defensive edge. Eight pressures on the day for him. One sack, four quarterback hits. Overall, Utah had eight sacks, six quarterback hits. You know, Moore took an absolute pounding. And it was, you know, credit to Utah. That last drive... Because Utah got the ball back towards the end and it was like, oh, okay, maybe Utah got a game-saving drive here. They sacked him three times in a row. They just, like, obliterated the UCLA offensive line. Sack, 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 game over. All she wrote. Fourth and, like, 30-something stupid like that. UCLA's side of the ball, they, they still did well. They had four sacks on the day. Plenty of quarterback pressures as well. Kane Madrano, their outside linebacker, he was the guy there. Two sacks, eight tackles, six run stops, forced fumble on the day as well. They had two forced fumbles, actually. You know, just everyone was giving the ball across, and oh, dear. I mean, could, with a defense that elite, I mean, it, it's it's going to be true. Cam Rising's going to come back, right? But he's not played football in a very long time. He has not practiced in a very long time. But you put them up against UCA, USC or Washington or Oregon... They could still just about compete with these guys, couldn't they? I don't think so on offense. I feel like their defense can make a game as ugly as it wants, keeps them in it. But I still think this team can only go as far as, like, say, if if Cam Rising does return. But, like I say, when he returns, how quickly can he get up to speed? Is there going to be enough time left in the season for them to mount a late charge to the Pac-12 Championship? Defence can only do so much and the backup can only do so much. Like I, said, I reckon that they'll be able to stop a lot of those teams scoring, but I'm not sure if they can then go and do the dirty work themselves and get the points. So I, whenever Utah play without cameraising, let's say this year, they're definitely going to be games to watch to see if they can just go all out defence and make a game ugly as possible and get a win the old fashioned way. But yeah, they're the kind of kryptonite that a Washington or USC probably does not want to play. They do not want to play a dominating defense. 
No, no, absolutely not. So, yeah, it's hard to see where they go. UCLA got a big one this weekend. They're playing Washington State. So, but Dante Moore's gonna—he's gonna be really good quarterback. He is, but it's just gonna take time. And this is this is your welcome to college football proper game here, and he will learn from it. So, this will be good for him in the long run. But UCLA do let us down, unfortunately. But Utah, fair props to you. You know, Whittingham's just done such a great job there over the last few years. Never bet against him is the, is the reason there. Next up, UNC 41-24 winners over Pittsburgh, who just do not look good this year. Pat Narduzzi has an unusually bad team, but I, d- I don't know. Are you are UNC in the fraud category still? I just You don't feel confident with him, do you? Drake May, he's 22-30, 296 yards and a touchdown. He had two rushing touchdowns. Good day for him. You're like, offense still looking good. Pittsburgh, yeah. I mean, Yerkovic didn't finish the game. I think he got hurt. He's replaced, or he got pulled, one or the other. Replacement quarterback comes in, throws two picks. It, it was a fairly competitive game. It was 28-17 at the half, so they're not completely out of it. Um, but it just gets to a point where UNC become a bit too much for them. You know, they, they get 38-17 or... Pitt do get a touchdown back. It's 14. Two scores with eight minutes to go. It's not quite out there, but I don't know with UNC. It's an odd one this year. They, they look good, and they feel good, but I just have this lingering doubt they're not quite there. They've got the running back. They've got the, they got the offense. Is it the defense that's like making me suspicious here, Ry? They're not frauds, but they're not contenders. Like Everyone knows their ceiling, and Drake made the ceiling, so... I can't say they're frauds until they have an embarrassing loss, but I I know what they are. I know how good they can be. They 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 can't surpass my expectations. That's why I can't call them fraud. Do I think they can make the playoffs? No. Do they expect to make the playoffs? Or do I, does anyone think they will? Probably not. No. Can they win the ACC? Their defense will define that. Their offense will not decide the season. Their defense will. I said, at one point, does someone come in and just stop Drake May? And if someone does that, if their defence then goes out there and gets the job done when Drake May has a terrible day against a great opponent, then I'll be like, well, maybe maybe they've got a little bit more about them. But until that happens right now, they're just stat padding, filling their boots. And so far, they've played, what, average sides. I've seen them beat a bad pit and... Uh, a treading water Minnesota. Mm. That, that's not moving the needle for me right now. I think that's it. I think I need to see them against better competition. I, th- I think that might be what does I it I see for them me. against Florida State. That will tell me everything I need to know about them. Yeah, so, I mean, it's cues. I mean, they've got the Hurricanes in two weeks, so that might be one, because Tyler Van Dyke's playing one of the best quarterbacks. He's one of the best quarterbacks in the country at the minute, so that defense will get tested against Miami. So I figure, like, I mean, they play Q's this weekend. Yeah, yeah, Q's ain't that good. So, yeah, Miami's the barometer in two weeks. We'll see that. And that was obviously a big rivalry down there. So, UNC win. We back them. That's great. Um, who we didn't back to win, though, was the New Mexico Lobos. Um, I've kind of, you know, 34-31 winners over UMass. We both had UMass for this. New Mexico scored 28 points in the first half. And then they didn't score any points for the rest of the game. They were 28-14 up at the half. UMass scored 14 unanswered in the second. It goes to overtime. UMass get a field goal. New Mexico get a touchdown. I, I don't know. I just 
you Masai kind of had a very vague glimmer of hope for this year. They, they got some close ones. They got a couple of wins. But now New Mexico beat them. And I know New Mexico bad. These are, I think these are just two bad teams, aren't they, Ryan? And they're not really worth much attention anymore. No. It was two bad teams trying not to be the worst. I'd say going over time, they both struggled to put another one away. But yeah, the, the saga of Danny Rodriguez lasts one more week. He's kind of just keeping his job now by a really thin thread. But even he wouldn't have wanted to be that close. No, no, he would not at all. But yeah, I'm, I'm done with these teams now. I put them in there because they were two weak ones. We were on the wrong end of it. I was gutted. I was hoping you must have pull it out. They didn't. Don Brown's still got a long way to go with the Minutemen, so that is that. But we talk about coaches who were on the hot seat, maybe not anymore. Well, there's one coach definitely not on the hot seat for this moment in time. They've done for me two weeks in a row now. They've, they've come through for me good. West Virginia, they came through the Mountaineers, another homestand, this time against the Texas Tech Red Raiders. Um, this is, again... Another defense who is playing absolutely lights out. They stymied Pittsburgh last week, who are a good ACC team. And then Texas Tech coming this week. Obviously, they have the injury to Tyler Shook really early in this one. I mean, his backup comes in. He's 13 of 37. He's not. He's, he's completing a third of his passes, like 30% of his passes. That's it. He got 158 yards and a touchdown. Taj Brooks, the running back for Texas Tech, 150 yards on 25 carries. But this West Virginia team, who were without their starter, Garrett Green got hurt against Pittsburgh early in that. I mean, Nico Marchiol, he's not good. 12 of 21, 78 yards, a touchdown, and two picks. This is a C.J. Donaldson team at the minute. He had 48 carries and a touchdown. He's leading them. Nico Marchiol... He had 72 rushing yards, so he had 72 rushing yards. It was only six less yards than what he threw. This this West Virginia team, on offense, they're terrible outside of C.J. Donaldson because of injuries and that, but another fantastic defense who they have been for years now, and they are, week after week, leading them to victories. And Neil Brown, his seat's a lot cooler now than it was at the start of the season, and Texas Tech... They're in a whole lot of bother this year. They could be ranked bottom of the Big 12 when this is said and done. Yeah, like I said, losing Tyler Shook changes the game, I think. Like I say, the defence rattled him. Like I say, he broke his legs. He's had surgery this season. He's done. He's, his career to date has been, well, very up and down, lots of highs and lows. I'm pretty sure his eligibility is nearly done. It's a shame to see him go out with a, a bad injury like that. But... It just shows Red Raiders no strength in depth. Like I say, no backup to come in and, you know, kind of just calm them down. Like I say, he just wasn't able to get anything done on the day. But like I say, he was getting harassed. And fair play to West Virginia. Like I say, did they win well? No. Did they play attractive IEPO football? No. It's ugly. It's scrappy. But a head coach that wins games doesn't care how he wins them. And West Virginia fans and their club right now, they don't care how the wins come as long as they keep coming. Like I say, Marquio stunk. I'm pretty sure he was a freshman last year or this year. He's a very high, he's like a four or five-star quarterback. I say, so he's definitely not ready for the, the starting gig yet. But if you can rely on a, a ground game to just kind of keep churning over and then let the defence go to work, well, it just shows you that anything in college football is possible. 
So they'll be another team that a lot of teams won't want to play because they don't like that style of addictive football. They're going to just screw up an offensive game plan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. I d- Texas Tech are in big bother. West Virginia are going to keep going as far as that defense takes them, but Neil Brown's seat's better. So I actually enjoy watching West Virginia. I, I like you. I like my defensive football quite good, and, and, and it was it was a good game from that standpoint. But, yeah, going to be ugly more often than not. Right, that is the pick-watch games. Ryan went 4-6. and six. I went 5-5. Five and five. Not a good week for us. We're going to rebound very shortly. We're going to do the next ones. Pretty sure Brent beat us last week. Um, right, let's move into the Survivor Corner. And then we're going to talk about next week because it's been going a while again. And um, it's, yeah, there's a team in here who I didn't even know existed this uh, year. And one of them, I don't know if this is a depressing game or terrible, but Old Dominion have been on our show quite a lot this year for many different reasons. But Old Dominion are in the survivors' corner this week because they won 10 9 against Texas AM Commerce. I don't know where they play, who they are, what they do. But all I know, there were no points in the first half of this game. Old Dominion get a touchdown and Texas A&M Commerce, although they're Lions, so you know, we could maybe adopt them, got a field goal. Um, then Old Dominion get a field goal. They lead in 10-3. Then with 28 seconds left in this game, A&M Commerce get a touchdown and you know what? Fair play to them. Head coach goes for a two-point conversion. He wants to win it all. He could have taken it to overtime. The two-point conversion fails, and Old Dominion hold on by the, the edge of their teeth. But I don't know. <laughs> I'm just laughing. I have no idea who they are, right? But, I mean, Old Dominion, they're, they're hit and miss. They've had some good wins, but... Yeah, this is when you don't even know who the team they face it is. This is very much a survival feat here, and this could have been a massive upset if that two pointer went in. Yeah, that a truly bizarre score. Like I said, a team I don't know how they did two. I, I have no idea. Yeah, <laughs> and do you know what? But credit to them though, they saw probably their biggest upset in program history. And uh, to quote Kenny Dillingham, who quote her Herm Edwards this week, "You play to win." After that funny oh, ASU, yeah. uh, that, that press conference was quite funny of Carney, like quoting his predecessor, but when he was a New York Jet coach. And he's right, you do play to win. Like I said, any other coach, you go for two points. And I said, if, you, if it's there, you take it. And even in a 10 9 loss, like the Texas AM Commerce fans and players will take an incredible amount of pride in that result. And I say, ODU, I say, the Dominion are not. They're not the great, they're not the prestigious footballing powerhouse, but they're a D1 programme. Like I said, they they win games, they can be inconsistent, but it's not often that you are able to almost get one of the probably biggest wins in programme history. The ODU fans on either side will want to forget this game and result as quick as possible and pretend it never existed. It's embarrassing. Like I said, the... The lack of either disrespect to the show to their opponent or just a total lack of urgency or fear that they felt against them to just play such lazy, lackadaisical football mm. and scrape prove a, a miserable win. Says more about ODU than it does the, the AM Commerce, that unfortunately. Yeah, it, it does really. Um, fair play to them. It just made me chuckle because I had no idea where they come from and I still don't, so. 
Uh, maybe there's a ra- random Texas A&M commerce fan out there, if you can tell us, but yeah. Wow. Um, anyhow, let's move it on. The other, there's four other teams who will survive this song. I'm going to list them all out, and you can, any you want to mention, right? But LSU, very, very narrow victors over Arkansas. They were 15 and a half point favourites for that game. LSU won 34 to 31, but Arkansas, after that loss to BYU last week, woke up. They were really good in this game. KJ did throw two picks, but overall, he made some sensational plays in this game. But LSU just had a little bit too much for them. Beat them by three points. Illinois, their bad season continues. They beat Florida Atlantic at home, but only 23-17, to 17, just six points. And they were 16.5-point favorites for this game. And Florida Atlantic made a game of this in the fourth quarter, and they had chances. Let it slip through their fingers, though. Arizona in the Pac-12 beat Stanford 21-20, to but they were 13-point road favourites. So that just shows how dominant they were in the bookies' lines with that one and literally beat Stanford by the skin of their teeth, as did Indiana. Home against Akron, Mac opposition, beat them 29 points to 27 in overtime. They were 16 and a half point home favourites for that one as well. I mean, some surprising ones in there, right? It's Some teams got incredibly lucky this week. I know Indiana sure as hell did, losing to Akron, who've been the butt of many a Mac joke there. But some teams can kiss their lucky stars this week. They came through their games. Yeah. Uh, the Wildcats, let's say, that's a weird result for them because they've been such resurgence last years. But it just shows, like, Danford, they beat Arizona State last year and I think they won with, like, like five or six or seven field goals, like, huge only field goals. Like, the Stanford Cardinals are in such a weird place right now. Even though they lost, that will actually feel like a really good result for them. That will feel like they're closer to where they want to be than further away. Like you say, a new head coach... And not all losses are the same. They'll probably think they were unlucky not to win that game. Like I say, they were super underdogs. Like I say, especially at home. Mm. Like I say, where they kind of pride themselves. But yeah, that that's going to be a very long-term project there. But yeah, the Wildcats, they escaped by the skin of teeth. And then Illinois, Indiana, like the Big Ten, like, oof. Oof. It just feels bad. I mean, Illinois is understandable because of how much they've lost to the draft. I mean, like, you've lost you've lost your entire secondary. You know, you've lost guys up front. You've lost um, Sidney Brown. You've Sorry, lost Chase Brown, your running back. You can understand that. But Indiana, I mean, what are they now? They're just, they're not a Power 5 program, are It's they? weird when everyone thought, like, Indiana was it with Michael Penix Jr. like two years ago. They thought, like, they were one of the best teams in the nation. And it was, like, the biggest underdogs ever when they're like what filler and Ty Freifogel everyone like this team could go to the Big Ten Championship yeah. Penix Jr an absolute star they started the season like was it 6 or 7 and 0 it won't want it they're like 7 and 0 they lost high up there yeah and then it all just it's all unraveled and all of it just crumbled <laughs> But you know what? I'll give my I'll give my prop to the Zips. They've been the joke of the Mac for years. They only lost by three points to Temple on opening week. They've lost in overtime to Indiana. They might actually be you know DJ Irons is a good quarterback there. They might actually cause some waves in the Mac this year. So you've got to kind of give props to Akron as well as major unprops to Indiana. But yeah, some rough games there for them this week. So 
Yeah, that's everything in terms of the Survivor Corner there. Are there any other games that we've not mentioned that you want to quickly mention before we go on to next week? Uh, fair play, Penn State, their first test of the season. Oh, and yeah. They like I said, the Iowa D, they hung on as long as they could. Now, I'm going to say like their offense is just as bad as it was with Spencer Petrus as it is with Kate McNamara. I'm going to get the stats up for this. nothing to them. But Penn State ground out 31-0, blanked at the whiteout party. The crowd was amazing. And fair play, Penn State, they dug in, they kept grinding. And in the end, they overcame them in comfortable fashion. And that's how winners win. Like I say, I feel ju- fully justified. The Penn State train keeps on rolling, baby, to the playoffs. And even Brent's getting on that Penn State train now. He was he was talking the other. He's getting worried about Michigan's chance against Penn State because Michigan. I mean, that was, I saw a weird stat. They're, they're one of two unbeaten teams left. Them and Georgia. Neither of them have covered the spread in games this year. So all these dominant spread bets they've had, they've not covered once because they're not dominating teams like they were last year. So. Even Brent's thinking Penn State on the train. Now, I'm going to get him there, Brent. You are going to be on side with me. So, you know, be ready for that one. But, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned this, actually, because I want to get the stats up. (laughs) Iowa, 76 yards of total offense all game, 2.3 yards per play. They had four first downs all game, and I'm pretty sure three of them came in the fourth quarter in garbage time when Penn State were giving them... Um, Penn State went four, four on yeah, down. Yeah, they did. But third downs for Iowa, one of nine. They didn't try any fourth downs because I don't think they ever got short enough to try and threaten it. Uh, they lost four fumbles on the day. They coughed up the ball four times. Um, they punted seven times. They only ran 33 total plays to Penn State's 97. Time of possession, 45 minutes, 27 seconds for Penn State. 14 minutes, 33. They didn't even get a full quarter of offense in the game. I thought that was going to That tells you how good the Iowa defense is. They held them to 30 points, basically. And they literally had none of the ball all the game. Oh, that is a credit to the defence. They were absolutely shattered. Can you imagine? What must it be like on a Monday when they go back to trainings? Like, the defence is there. Like, it's one of the best in the nation. It's elite. And all these guys are going to get drafted. And they're there looking at that offence going, why do we bother? I mean, it's great for your draft stock to go to Iowa because you are on the field 40 minutes a game and you make all these plays. You load the stat sheet up, but... There can't be a healthy dynamic in the locker room after something like that, surely. For years now, like these guys, Cooper DeJean, the guys who've been in that building two, three, four years now have known nothing but them having to do all the work. It, it cannot foster a good culture in there, surely. It just The word that comes to mind for me is disheartening. When the, the Iowa defence plays, like, say, like a, let's say Penn State take, like, ten minutes to go down the field... I like a hell to a field goal and Iowa get the ball back and like they go three and out like in a minute and then they're, they're, they're putting their helmets back on they're like, like what's the fucking point like why do we have to play these long ass drives and you get to go out there and give the ball back because you fumbled it mm. or you're punting away within like 70 seconds it's like what is the point like how is that fair how is that team ever going to win games and for me it's coaching Mm. Like their offensive quality, like 
what the fuck are you doing? And yeah. So, head coach, I get the head coach, one of the most experienced guys to ever play in football, but the dynamic is just terrible. Yeah, and then you've got like Kirk Ferentz coming out with that hilarious comment like, huh, maybe we should use the receivers more. And I've checked that whole quote and that is basically what that is basically what he said. He's like, it makes sense to use the receivers more. Uh no no shit, Sherlock. Really? You think it might make use to use Cade and bring your receivers in and actually do something with them? Why get Cade McNamara yeah. in if you're not gonna change how you're gonna run the team? No, you'd have been best off getting You'd be best off getting Connor Bazelek or something like that and letting him sit there and do nothing. So, yeah. Like I say, the but then I also look at Cade McNamara. Why did you go to Ayo? He knew what to expect. Yeah. He knows the brand of football. If he went there and expected any different, he's a fool. I think and he's he, wasting his time and eligibility. I think he thought that they, you know, because they're, they're in different divisions to Michigan. I'll go to Iowa. Their defense will take me to a title there. I'll get to Michigan in a big game and we can upset them on the day. I reckon There's no he, way Kevin McNamara don't end up Paul again. I reckon he, he thinks something like that. I reckon he thought something like that. I'll go to Iowa, win the division, and we'll play Michigan in the big game and I'll show them what they're missing. It's like, mate, you're not getting there. You're not even getting close. I mean, they might still win that god awful division that they're in but I, I, I just can't see it it's 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 poor as um, they don't have the wrong game anymore either the wrong game's gone which yeah. is that was important. yeah it was so I oh, no, I don't know anyhow all the other big seeded teams Georgia put away UAB Michigan put away Rutgers even though they didn't look good and we'll talk maybe more about Michigan next week because we haven't much so far but there's been no reason to talk about them who's survivor Wake Forest Oh god, I forgot to. But that's an upset, is it not? They lost to Georgia Tech. They I did, completely yeah. forgot about that. They lost, like saying that, like say they screwed up royally. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't, they just they don't look right this year. Wait for us. Obviously, no, Sam's they, gone. They look bad. Sam's gone. I think the floor's fallen out. They're going to be a he bad program. Yeah, yeah, he was. So no, not not great from them. Um, most of the other big teams we've talked about, Oklahoma beat Cincinnati pretty easy. Duke smashed UConn. The Hurricanes smashed Temple. Tennessee got back to winning ways against UTSA. Florida, I mean, they, they made hard work of it against Charlotte. I don't know what they are this year. Marshall got a Power 5 scalp against Virginia Florida Tech. Florida making player of the year, though. If anyone has not seen Ricky Pearsall's one-handed sticky glove catch, everyone needs to go watch it. Ridiculous. Yeah. He gets absolutely levelled. And still catch it the ball. I don't know what's on the gloves these days, but he definitely don't catch that ball about glove one. That's all I will say. Despite being a former fun devil. Yeah. No. Um, no, it was actually. Yeah, I should have mentioned that. There was a lot that went off this week. Um, oh, I guess the last one I would just say before we do move on. Mike Gundy's in bother. Thirty-four points dropped on him by Iowa State. He's. Oh, come on. His days have got to be ben numbered now. Man, the freshman. Yeah, he absolutely. He annihilated them. He had the best game. He's coming out part. Like I respect that a lot. Like you say, because last week struggled, and this week comes out and yeah, took that over OK State defense. Like I say, and the Iowa State defense. Like I say, there's some dogs in there. They've got like a pair of safeties. Might be the best in the conference. Like I say, their defense is stacked. Yeah, it is, and you know you dropped it. Gundy's been at OK State forever. I think it's called Bo, Bo Freuder. Like you said, I think he's one of the more underrated safeties like in the, the FBS. 
Yeah. I said, Iowa State have had the same thing Iowa have. They've had a great defense, but they've just not been able to get the offense to go with it. But who knows? He just needs to learn and get experience. Yeah. 350 yards, three touchdowns to him. That's, I mean, you can't really ask for much more more than that. So, yeah, fair play to them all there. Right, anyhow, let's move it on. We've been on the matches for a while. Uh, a lot of good stuff went on. Great week. Um, but let's focus our attention now on week five. We'll go through the pick watch games first, and then we'll talk about other games that have taken our interest um, so we need to we need to bounce back this week collectively, Rye. Uh, we had a, we had a bit of a struggle last week, so let us get down into them. First up, we've got ACC action: Louisville at NC State. Uh, the Cardinals four and zero on the season. They've had one score wins over Georgia Tech and Indiana, and then they've had blowouts over Murray State and Boston College. But I remember that Georgia Tech game well. They were very lucky to win that. Wolfpack, they are 3-1 and one on the season. They've got victories over UConn, the Virginia Military Institute, and Virginia. Sole loss came against Notre Dame, which they lost quite handily in that one there. But, I mean, Utah have looked... I mean, sorry, Utah. Louisville, I think they're the same. They flatter to deceive. They look good, but I'm not sure how good they actually are. NC State, I love my Wolfpack guys. They're struggling without Devin Leary. They've had some decent wins, but this is probably, outside of Notre Dame, the biggest game they've faced so far. Who have you got ACC? Louisville at NC State. I'm going to take Louisville just because I've seen them able to score points. I've seen the Louisville offense has been able to chew up yardage and rack up points. I don't trust their defense whatsoever. The, the script has not changed for the Cardinals. Still trying to outscore points, but I think they'll have too much firepower. I think they'll just squeak past the NC State. See, right, we're going to diverge right away. I'm, even though I'm an NC State fan, at home, I, I'm hard-pressed to bet against them because they are much better at home than they are on the road. And I think they've got enough to put down points on Louisville to beat them. And I think the defence will stand up. NC State, our defence has been pretty decent this year. So I'm going to give us the slight edge in that. So I'm going to go NC State with that one. Uh, but if Louisville win... I would not be surprised at all. Right, intriguing one now. We're moving over to the Pac-12. Utah at Oregon State. Two teams we've talked about extensively today. Obviously, Utah, 4-0 on the season. They've had one score wins over Baylor and UCLA. More commanding wins over Florida and Weber State. Obviously, two of these wins against ranked opposition the Beavers, 3-1 and one on the season. They've had dominant wins over San Jose State, San Diego State, and UC Davis. But they lost the Pac-2 title game against Washington State. That's the only fixture they've had against ranked opposition. Obviously, we know what these teams are, right? Utah, fantastic defense. Offense is okay. But the Beavers, they have got a good offense. DJU, still, they will put up a lot of points. But they're coming up against a good defence. And then there's questions about their defence now. Now that Cameron Ward sort of ripped them to shreds. But they're not going to be facing Cameron Ward. They're facing Cam Johnson. And Utah are going to try and run the ball as much as they can. Washington State didn't really do that. Um, but Utah just keep defying expectations. What have you got for this Pac-12 encounter? See, I think this will be comfortable Utah. I think this is a bad matchup for DJ Ungalilla. I expect him to have his worst performance of the season. Whenever he played for Clemson and came up against the better defences, he struggled. And this is the best defence he's going to play of the season. 
and I think he's gonna. I think he's gonna lay an egg. I think this will be the first bad performance he puts in this year, and I think that'll mean the Utah offense probably won't have to do that much. I'll take the Utes. See, I again, my my brain's sort of telling me to go with Oregon on this one because I've seen how they good they can be, but. I like Utah, and I keep betting against them, and they keep proving me wrong, and I feel guilty, but I know the one time I go for them, they'll let me down. Um, so, you pick Utah. I'm with you. You know what, screw it. I'm going with Utah. I think that that defense is just nasty. And what Cam Stone did to that Oregon State offensive line, Utah sure as hell can do on there. So, like you said earlier, they can, they can make this a slugfest. And now this is the first test of this Oregon State team and what they are capable of. So, yeah, I'm with you. Utah sweep on that one. <sighs> Over to the Sun Belt next. Oh, man, I'm going to have to stop doing this. The Jaguars, South Alabama at James Madison. Jaguars 2-2 two and two on the season. They've beaten Southeastern Louisiana and OK State. Lost to Tulane and Central Michigan. James Madison have run the schedule so far. Bucknell, Virginia, Troy, Utah State all have fallen to them. The Dukes at home, Rye, um, would seem formality on paper, but you just don't know which South Alabama team is going to show up. And this is the start of their Sunbelt campaign. Obviously, James Madison have a victory over Troy already. They want to know in the conference but this is a battle between two of the teams expected to be at the top. Who do you pick for this one? I don't think it matters which South Alabama team turn up. It's going to be all Dukes. This is not a good game. After coming off that result, this is a terrible week to try to turn around your favours and fortunes. Like I said, I, I still think the Dukes are probably going to run the table despite their eligibility. Like I say, so yeah, give me a James Madison by a healthy amount. Right, so... This, for me, I've believed a lot in South Alabama. I've said they can get to the championship game. This is where I stick my neck out for them now. This is where I... This is where you prove to me that you are worthy of the ranking I gave you, that you're going to win the Sun Belt this year. So I've, I'm going, I believe in them. I'm going to stick my neck out and say South Alabama can upset them this week, but... If James Madison win healthily, it would not surprise me. But this is this is my breaking point. Me and South Alabama are together. This is where we diverge if they lose. So, Rye's got James Madison. I've got South Alabama. I think it'll be a fantastic game, though. I should certainly on my schedule to watch this weekend if I can get a hold of it. Um, SEC action now. Arkansas at Texas A&M. Arkansas 2-2 two two on the season. Beat Western Carolina in Kent State, but they've lost the last two against BYU and LSU, but they looked a lot better this week. Just gone A&M, a 3-1. They've beaten New Mexico, Louisiana, Monroe, and Auburn, but they lost to the Miami Hurricanes fairly convincingly there. I'm just going to straight up say this will be an Arkansas one. They beat A&M last year. I expect them to do it again, especially with Wigman and Weigman out now. I, th yeah. I, think they're, I, I think they're down. So I've got Arkansas here. Are you Arkansas sweeping as well? Oh yeah, he's like Connor Vigman, yeah. pretty much. It's a big loss. It's a, it's a big loss. And that, I think it'll be a lot of that. That defense is not going to. The wins Maybe, are cupcakes. Maybe Marks. Did you yeah. him back? Yeah. Yeah, he's he, he's not enough to carry that team on his back. No, no. I think Arkansas have got too much offense, and I'm pretty sure Raheem Sanders is finally back on the field this week. They're but missing. Back, that could be ugly. They're missing him criminally. I mean, AJ Green's good, but he's not great. He's not. 
Raheem Sanders, when healthy, is the second or third best running back in the nation. They're missing him criminally, so hopefully he's back and they're going. So Arkansas sweep there. Right, um, Mac action. And this is another team who I'm going out on my neck for here because I have believed in them. Eastern Michigan at Central Michigan. We've got all Michigan action here. Eagles are 2-2. Two and two. Wins over Howard and UMass, but both by less than a full score in both of them. Losses to Minnesota, and they got shut out by Jacksonville State in the weekend, just gone. So that's concerning. The Chippewas are 2-2. Two and two. They're coming off that shot win against South Alabama. However, the week before, they barely beat New Hampshire, who are FCS. So they're another who you don't know who they are. The losses were to Michigan State and Notre Dame. Fairly big losses, but... They played well against Notre Dame, and they played okay against Michigan State, but, you know, the Eagles have not quite got going this season yet. They've not looked convincing at all, but they're still 2-2. Two and two. We know they're good in conference, and the Chippewas, they look better, but they can also have a really bad day, so this is, this is a tough one, this is, but I'm flat out saying I'm going Eastern Michigan. This is me sticking my neck out for Chris Crichton. I believe in him. I have given him so much praise on here, and I think they can win the MAC this year. But you've got to beat Central. On the road, you have to. So this is me putting my money on the line with this team. Ryan, who have you got? Yeah, I put Eastern Michigan in my title game. I remember that. But I'm I'm going against them. Follow the results. I don't blame you. Chippewas have got momentum on the side, and they're at home. Home field advantage. I think they made that count. I think if they beat Eastern Michigan, I, I think that rules out Eastern Michigan title game, to be honest. I feel like that would kind of something. Yeah. Yeah. I think the Chippewas get it done at home. They're riding the crest of a wave, and I think they'll carry that into their home form. Yeah. I, I have to back the team. I, I've given them so much. I can't turn on them now. I'm not going to. But they've not looked great this year. So it all depends on Samson. On Samson. Can he, can he come in and do the job for them? So we... We'll see with that. Right. Um, oh, no, not quite. Big 12 action. Cincinnati at BYU. Cincinnati 2-2. Two and two. They've started with wins against Eastern Kentucky and Pittsburgh. But they since lost the rivalry game to Miami of Ohio. And then they lost their Big 12 debut against Oklahoma. BYU 3-1. and one, Wins over Sam Houston, Southern Utah and Arkansas. But they lost their unbeaten start against Kansas last weekend. Kansas really good and we've not spoken about them but they're still unbeaten as well that's how much is going on at the minute um but Cincinnati they they flattered to deceive they had the big win on the road against Pittsburgh they're not bad not great but BYU I don't know what BYU are yet either who have you got in big 12 action right I'm gonna take Cougars because actually I watched them a bit and they made Kansas really work for that win they could have beaten them it was only a one-score game at the end of the day, wasn't it? Like you say, they, they, they hung in there and they made life hard for them. And it took until like four minutes left of the game for Kansas to score the game-winning touchdown. So yeah, give me the Cougs. I think they've adjusted to life and they're going to make adjustments to life in the Big 12 pretty comfortably. Not convinced oh, yeah. by Cincinnati. They're still a building project. Yeah, it's the battle of the new boys. Isn't it? I'm going Cougs as well. I saw what they did to Arkansas. They levelled us. Um, so yeah I, I'm going to go BYU as well but it's an interesting matchup of the Big 12 new boys right now the one I'm really interested in this is another team right how far are we willing to stick our neck out for them Notre Dame at Duke 
Notre Dame 4-1 on the year. They've beaten Navy, Tennessee State, NC State, and Central Michigan, but lost last week against Ohio State. Duke are unbeaten. Started with that highly impressive win over Clemson. They followed it up with wins over Lafayette, Northwestern, and UConn. The creme de la creme of opposition, but they won the big game. They've won all the games since. They are big underdogs for this, even though they're at home against ND, but... I believe in Mike Elko. I believe in that program, and they took a lot of doubts out of my mind with that win over Clemson, even though Clemson are not that good. Can they upset the fighting Irish, Ryan? See, the problem is I don't think Duke can stop the run. I'm pretty sure Will Shipley played against, well, did pretty damage against them when and Clemson won. And estimates the leading rusher in the if country. If they win this game, he's going to be running the ball. It won't be Sam Hartman. And I think Audrey Estime. Is this a potential star? So I'm going to take the Fighting Irish, and they're going to. I think they're going to win a, a, a close. I think a low-scoring game. I think it could be another 17, 15, 2017. They're going to win it on the ground. See, they're in my fraud corner this week, and I just think they're such a fraudulent team. And I think you just need to run the ball. Yeah, uh, but this is the thing. I. I don't think this Duke, this Duke team are not the Duke team of Duke past. And, I, and if this doesn't affect them in the ACC if they lose, because obviously it's not an in-conference loss, so they can afford to lose it, but... Oh, this is another emotional one, this is. Like, I don't think they can afford to lose it, though. They, 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 despite being underdogs, they should be expecting to win this. And this is the thing. you know, I believe in them. I think Duke are a good football team this year with a great head coach, a great quarterback who... This could be Riley Leonard's breakout game. I mean, people are mentioning Leonard in there, but yeah. <laughs> Roland goes, hopefully ND don't play with 10-man on defense again. Yeah, we talked it's about that earlier. It's... Their secondary ND, it's not bad. No. You know what? I'm, I'm, I'm like so. I could be very angry on this podcast next week, but I am laying out my bets on teams. I believe in Duke. I think Duke can upset the Fighting Irish. I think the I think Notre Dame. They they've lost their season now. That loss has has hurt their credentials. They're frauds again. Unless they can beat USC, which they're not going to. They're not going to salvage anything meaningful from this season. Duke do have something to go after, and I believe in Riley Leonard. So. Ryan's going ND. I'm going to go Duke. Screw it. I believe in him. Please, Mike Elko, do not let me down. Um, and then we've got two more. We're back in SEC land. So Florida at Kentucky. Florida 3-1 and one on the season. Recovered from that opening week loss against Utah. They've beaten McNeese State. Obviously, the big win over Tennessee. And then Charlotte, who they struggled with a little bit last week, but they beat them. Kentucky are 4-0 on the season. Uh, but they've played no real competition. They've beaten Ball State, Eastern Kentucky, Akron, and Vanderbilt. So, you know, not exactly the creme de la creme of opposition there. But just how much do we believe in Florida after that first week, Rye? Um, Florida at Kentucky, who have you got? I hate both of these teams. I don't like either of them. I hate Graham Mertz, but I'm picking Florida because Kentucky are absolute frauds and they don't look any better even though they've got an upgraded quarterback and they've got a good part, I still don't think they're going to do anything. And I actually think it wouldn't even be an upset with Florida win. Yeah. I just feel like this, I can't win in this. I think It feels like every time I pick Florida, I they lose. It's like, it's like every time I pick Florida, 
or to pick against them, they screw me. Like last year, I had them to beat, lose against Utah, and then they beat them. This year, I picked them to beat Utah, and they lose. It's like I can't win. So, but I, Kentucky are just not great. So, I've got Florida as well. Florida sweep, but not trusting that whatsoever. And then the last one we've got on the slate. Oh, quickly, Roland G goes. I'm. I'm pulling for Duke, people not giving them the respect. Absolutely, Roland. Duke are not getting the respect they deserve. Because people are going, oh, the ACC's between Florida State and UNC. Don't forget about Duke. Duke is still in there. Don't forget about the Hurricanes. There's four teams who can still win the ACC this year. I think Duke and the Hurricanes, on their day, can take UNC and Florida State down. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> Roller goes, I'm a Michigan fan. Bad blood with the Irish. Yeah, don't blame you with that one. Last one, right? Boise State at Memphis. Um, Broncos 2-2 two and two on the year. Started with losses against Washington and UCF, but obviously both Power 5 programs. Bounced back with wins against North Dakota and San Diego State, although it was very narrow. I think it was 34-31 there against the Aztecs. Memphis 3-1 and one on the year. They've beaten Bethune-Cookman, Arkansas State, and Navy. Again, <laughs> not much opposition. Lost to Missouri last week. Mizu, who were 4-0, big one as well, but Boise State, we, we, we kind of backed them in the Mountain West this year on the road at Memphis. Are we, we still backing them? Nah, they look crap. Ooh. And Taylor Green as well. He started the season poorly. Mm. Actually, even in the wins, he's not looked good. I'll take mm. Memphis. The Broncos look fraudulent this year. I don't think they'll be anywhere near that title game. They fooled me. They hooded me, winged me this year. So now I'm not going to be kind to them. Oh, you know what? Okay, screw it. I, I'm sort of I'm putting up my links with these teams I've backed this year. So Boise State, this is your chance to to redeem yourself with me. I've got I've got Boise State here. You've got Memphis. I've got Boise State. So we've had a little bit of differentiation this week. So I don't know. The one game I want more than anything is Duke. That's the, oh, I don't care if I'm one and nine this year. If I get Duke, I don't care. I will take that. I will go right to the bottom of the pit watch and I will happily sell my soul for that result to happen. So, very interesting there. So, let's have a look through a few of the other fixtures going. I don't know if there's any ones you specifically want to mention, but the new boys play each other this weekend. Right, Sam Houston, Jacksonville State, they're playing each other in their first CUSA appearance against one another. Sam Houston, oh boy, not been good for them so far. Um... Without looking, how many points do you reckon they've scored in the first three games? 22. 10. <laughs> they got none against BYU, they got three against Air Force, and they got seven against Houston. Uh, Jacksonville State, on the other hand, they've really acquitted themselves to life in in the F- in the FBS. They obviously they smacked East Tennessee State. They lost 30-16 to against Coastal, that's not too bad, but then they shut out Eastern Michigan. This week, and obviously they won week one against UTEP as well. So I mean, one's taken very well to it in Jacksonville State. The Bearcats, though, I think they were always the ones who were going to struggle more, weren't they? Yeah, they were. I didn't think they were ready. In fact, I didn't think either of them were ready. I didn't want either of them to come up. But one's adjusted to life a little bit better. But these two teams know each other well, so a Sam Houston win won't surprise me. Mm. Like facing a regular old four. Yeah. I think when you take the jump up the FBS totally out, like if you kind of remove all that and take it back to like, say, two high-powered old FCS rivals, I reckon Sam Houston will like their chances. They know them well. 
I don't think the jump up should really factor in too much into it. I feel like this will be one of like the, this kind of game like will be different from all the rest they play this season. Utah or Oregon State, South Alabama. I must have missed it. Did we make predictions for LSU and Old Miss? Nope. Oh, I don't nope. think we did. I think I missed that out. Okay, I apologize. I've just looked through that very quickly then. <laughs> LSU or Old Miss. I know you said you were not going to bet on Old Miss again this year, so do I know do I know what your answer is? Because you know they'll win this weekend just to mess with you when you best against them, and you'll just hate them even yeah, more. Last year, didn't they? Uh, possibly. I can't think off of the top of my head, but LSU. I think towards the end. I can't remember. No, LSU. They'll pile more pressure on Lane Kiffin. Oh no, LSU beat them forty-five twenty last year. I that was when Old Miss were actually seven and zero. That was the one they screwed up last year royally. That I think I think we bet on them to beat LSU. And then they scored two touchdowns early. Like, oh yeah, they're going to do this. And then I don't think they scored after the first quarter. They scored six points after the first quarter, and that was it. So that was that was the beginning of their fraudulent. Not trust LSU either, but I trust them a lit not as less. <laughs> You're picking LSU. Um, oh, screw it. <laughs> I'll pick LSU, but if Ole Miss screw me, they're going to be in big trouble next week. LSU really... defense. Yeah. Probably will give some trouble to their almost offense. Yeah, they're going to go in a lot of bother. So, yeah. Sorry, I don't know how I missed that one out, but I did. I've got all the others. South Alabama, Arkansas, East Michigan, Cincinnati. Da, 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 da. Yeah, right. That's them all. Other ones. This, so, there's another interesting one this week in the Big 12. Kansas are on the road to Texas. Now, I didn't put this in deliberately because Kansas are quite outside on there. But for Texas... They need to prove, you know, you've beaten Alabama now, so you've kind of got to run the table to make that win mean something. But the Jayhawks, the Jayhawks still look good this year. They are undefeated, 4-0 for the second time. I think they said this is the first time since 1917 and 1918, like over a century ago, that they've had consecutive seasons where they've started 4-0. Um, it, it just doesn't happen very often for them. But with Daniel, you know, they missed the quarterback for the first few weeks. He's back now, Jalen Daniels. He looks just as good as as before. I know he didn't throw much in the last game, but they're running the ball really well. Jalen Daniels is doing enough in the pass game, and the defense is steady. Mm, that's the issue for me. It, 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 yeah, it gave up 27 to the Cougars. They've given up 23 to Illinois, 24 to Nevada, which is worrying, and then 17 to Missouri State, so... That's the problem, but the offense is there. Could this is their best chance of a win a shootout? Yeah, they will not win. They they won't win this game if they have to score under thirty points. So their best chance is like winning like forty thirty seven. I'll so, take. I think Texas will win because I tr- I think they can probably keep them at arm's length a little bit. So roll- might make life a little bit harder for Jalen Daniels. So Roland says Kansas plus 17 I'm taking. So if Kansas are 17-point dogs for this, I'd certainly take that. I don't think Kansas are going to get beaten by 17. No, I It's think not a three-score game. I think that's disrespectful to Kansas there. I would put the line more about, what, eight, nine? I, I'd yeah, put it like... Seven. I'd put it somewhere, like, yeah, about the seven to ten area. I wouldn't have it at 17. I think if Kansas can turn that into a shootout, they're more than capable in that because I think Texas do have weakness at the back 
It depends, though, whether they get at him. And they can't get themselves in a hole. That's one thing they can't do. Can't let Texas get in front. So, that's interesting. That's one of the more bigger matchups I didn't put in there. But that's interesting. So, Georgia are away at Auburn. Michigan away at Nebraska. Penn State away at Northwestern. USC play Colorado. Washington play Arizona. I mean, they had a bit of an icky one there. Alabama are on the road at Mississippi State. Oregon on the road at Stanford. Pretty much everyone's on the road of the top tier teams there. Have you got? Could anyone struggle? Georgia at Auburn, Michigan at Nebraska, Penn State at Northwestern, Washington at Arizona, USC at Colorado, Oregon at Stanford, Bama at Miss State. Any of those you reckon might be a struggle? Possible upset? Even just like a tiny bit? You see, I look at that. I, I don't think Michigan... Michigan are not going to struggle against Nebraska. No, because they've got their backup now. Like I say, there's not Casey Thompson. Oh, well, Casey's for Florida, isn't he? Oh, I yeah. don't know if they play there. Nebraska, yeah. Nah. Washington, Arizona? Do Arizona... Could they? No. No? They can't stop that offence. It'd be interesting to see how Michigan do against Nebraska, though, because they have... Even Brent said they've been struggling a bit. Um, Stanford, Roland says he's taking the points with... I mean, that's Oregon... You just feel like Oregon are going to roll over them, but it's a weird one. Um, Oklahoma. Colorado, like, yeah. that's going to be an intriguing game. They're not going to, are they? Yeah, I don't what know would anymore. You, what would your score prediction be for that? If you're going to give a score for this weekend, do you reckon it's going to be another... I think it would be in the region. You would be talking like Colorado 20, USC 40. Something like that. I would I would predict something like that. Or 21 to 40. Like 45, 30, yeah. I reckon your over-under is probably like 70 points either. Yeah. Yeah. It would be a good bounce back for Shadow Sanders, but that yeah. could be in trouble. I think you've got to put... I think this for me is a big test for USC. If they can't keep Colorado... Because Colorado don't have a run game. So if your defence can't even deal with an obvious passing game... They're a lot more in the fraud category for me, USC, because you just can't. <laughs> when you come up against a dynamic offense, you've got, you've got no chance if you can't win against a one dimensional offense. So I'm going to be interested to see that there. The other ranked teams, when did Oklahoma rank 14th? I've done nothing on Oklahoma this year. I like know nothing about them. But Iowa State, on the road against them, that defense is good. Rocco Becht looks decent. I mean,. That's a big could that be? A, could that? Be, I think the upset might come there. If there's going to be one, I keep on last week. Yeah, I because is Dylan Gabriel's still there? We know Dylan, great quarterback, but he is prone to throwing. Defense. Yeah, it it never has been good, has it? Right, I'm going to pull. I'm going to call the upset of the ranked teams against the unranked there. I think that could be one. Um, South Carolina travel to Tennessee. Uh, Florida, Kentucky, Missouri travel to Vanderbilt. I don't even think Mizzou can screw that up, but you know, been wrong before. And Fresno State, who are ranked twenty-five, you know what? Good for them. Good for them. They're at home to Nevada. They can't really screw that one up, can they? See South Carolina. Remember when they went to Tennessee last year and they destroyed them? Oh God, yeah. Oh, didn't they win like forty tennis? I'm stupid. They yeah they they went and wrecked everybody at the end of last year Clemson Tennessee they and this is why I don't I don't get South Carolina I don't that offensive line's just not good enough to protect Rattler yeah, they don't look good this year but 
I can still go and throw a head on a point. I think that, that could be one of those where Tennessee, they'll lose like 50 points to 30 or something like that. Like Spencer Rattler could have a great day, uh, but they're still going to be poor, so yeah. Uh, Roland goes, oh, OL for Michigan isn't the same as last year, not getting the push for the run game. Time will tell if they get this fixed. Could have something to do with Harbaugh being suspended. Maybe. The bread and butter is that run game, but Corum's still getting touchdowns, so... As long as he's firing and JJ looks like he's recovered from that Bowling Green fiasco, I think they'll be fine, but they're still going to lose to Penn State. I'm still going to say that. Penn State the team in the Big Ten this year. And I know it'll take that'll get me a lot of hate, but hey-ho. Um, yeah, is anything else you've got your eyes on this year? I mean, Arizona State played Cal. Clemson played Syracuse. Um, there's not much else that stands out. I think we've gone through most of the main ones. But anyone else you're looking at, you're interested in? Uh, see, I'm curious how Wisconsin do, because they have been horrible to watch. And Tanner Mordecai has been absolutely useless. He's looked horrible. Mm. And like you say, uh, they just their running back say Malassi just broke his leg in two places. His season's over. Ew. So he's basically the Braille and Allen show all over again. Can they, he save their season? But they gave him the ball last week, didn't they? They're like, oh, actually... Yards, yeah. But yeah, he's the only weapon they've got back on the team again. Who are they playing this week? Have they got... Um, it's Aren't they... Is it their week off? I thought it was their week off. I could be wrong. I'm not sure, but... I can't remember, actually. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. West Virginia played TCU. That'd be interesting. Can that defence hold up against... If West Virginia can beat TCU, colour me intrigued with them. Like, colour me really intrigued. Because if they can keep TCU quiet and beat them, then they might have something going towards the top end of the Big 12 there. But we will we will see. I think we'll round it up at that. We've been going quite a while. We've got through quite a lot today, which has been great. This season's been really good so far. It's given us a lot to talk about. So thank you to everyone who's joined us this evening. We really appreciate it. I know these shows are long, but we have one time a week to talk about 133 college football teams, and we try and keep it as bite-sized as possible with a lot of them. If you've got anything you want to ask us quickly before we go, just let us know, because I'm going to go through all the bits. So for the next shows for the podcast, obviously tomorrow, it is the Detroit Lions traveling up to Cheeseland to face the Green Bay Packers. Um, Ash and Matt will be on the live stream giving live reactions to the game. It'll be 1.15 in the morning here when that kicks off. So go give the guys some love because we are going late into the night with this one. I'll be on the Twitter stream, so if you want to come and chat with me on Twitter, please do so. I appreciate all the interaction I get on there. I get loads, so yeah, we'll be back for that. And then on Friday, it'll be the end of the 7 for 7. Uh, it'll be our Green Bay Packers review show. And then you get five whole days without us, because you'll have had seven days coming and tuning into these shows. So we appreciate everyone who's supporting us with that. And then, of course... Me and Ryan will be back in a week for another weekend for another week of college football action. There, we'll start talking more in depth about some of the players as we get to the midway point of the season as well, um, because we focused a lot on the team so far. There are players that need to be talked about as well. It's just we don't really needed to do it with the draft this year because the Lions are good, so we don't need to worry about the draft at the minute. So it's 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 kind of a fun position to be in and. We're going to have to do half-season mock drafts as well soon, Roy, so I guess I guess we'll have to start looking at it. It just feels weird that it's not relevant at this point, so hey-ho. But yeah, we'll be back next week. We'll talk about the players a bit as well, and we'll get some more. We've got some other shows coming 
that we will let you know about. You can find us all over Roar of the Lions UK, Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, all that good stuff. You know where to find us. We're not that far away, even though we're across the ocean. So we appreciate everyone who's joined in with us this evening. Ken, Brent, Roland, Grandizer, Kool-Aid. Um, really appreciate you all. I will um, tomorrow probably chapterize this video so you can sort of get to, you can go back through it, get to all the little bits nice and accessible and we'll do that in future moving forward. So yeah, but anyhow, we appreciate you all. Thank you very much. Cheers, Rye. Cheers, Hank. He's probably gone to sleep somewhere now. We will see you again over the weekend. But if we don't talk to you beforehand, enjoy the Packers game. Let's go smash them. Let's go take control of the NFC North. Let's have ourselves a good old weekend and a second victory Friday of the year. So just remains for me to say thank you and one pride. Up the Packers. Thank you for supporting the Roar of the Lions UK podcast. You can find us on our socials on YouTube at Roar of the Lions UK, Twitch, Twitter and Instagram, ROTL underscore UK and on our website www.roaroftheliondsuk.com.